Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new edition of The Sea Report, coming to you live on this uh, Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope we're doing well out there, uh, wherever we are around the world or around this great country. I wish you all a great evening and thank you for joining us live as we uh, get into some more news, headlines, and current events for the evening on this uh, happy sandwich day, because between, uh, you know, Tuesday and Thursday lies a day so uh, scrumptious. Sometimes we call it sandwich day. Well, at least that's what we call it around the C Studios in that regard. But uh, glad to have you with us and uh, ready to get another uh, good show on and reporting up for tonight. Got some great news and information to share with everyone. For those of you who may have heard, and for those of you who may not have heard, well, I'm pretty sure we have some interesting stories uh, that will uh, uh, prick your curiosity and uh, possibly, uh, you know, further further, uh, expand that uh, cranium of knowledge. Well, hey, let me tell you what, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight, we have one of those shows, ladies and gentlemen, one of those shows that I consider my personal favorite, uh, Topic Du Jour. Uh, do you guys think you could guess what we'll be talking about tonight? And we have a jam-packed episode, I can tell you that for sure. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. We will uh, continue to ride the coattails of election fraud and election integrity here at the Sea Report tonight. So you know you will be in for quite an informative uh, episode, if not one that will most definitely serve to add ammunition and uh, a little bit of stamina uh, to that long-fought battle over whether or not election fraud really occurred in 2020. Of course, if you are anyone who's regular in my audience or anyone who's uh, no stranger to uh, some of the undercurrents that flow beneath the waves of the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, then you know the answer to that question already, guys. And I know you know. But as ever... Uh, The story of election fraud and exactly the uh, many numerous ways that it occurred in 2020 um, is an ongoing story. It's uh, what some of us would call a living document uh, that continues to be uh, added to, uh, continues to expand as we move along in this timeline, ladies and gentlemen. And I have to say, you know, for as uh, repetitive as some of these stories become... Um, there is always some stunning breakthroughs. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, for tonight, I think tonight we're having a breakthrough episode. I think we're having a breakthrough case of election fraud 2020, ladies and gentlemen, because um, let me tell you, when that ball starts to roll down the hill, it only picks up speed. And uh, it seems that that is the occurrence going on now. And uh, I, I quite uh, find it heartening uh, that uh, it is picking up that steam. Uh, it is quickly becoming that, uh, that runaway choo-choo train that everyone said that the Arizona forensic audit was and would be. Of course, 
we had the sleeping, uh, the sleeping bear hibernating A.G. Bernovich over there in uh, Arizona. I guess he, uh, I guess he fell asleep on the tracks and he probably just derailed that sucker altogether. Um, but we will get a pulse on Arizona soon, ladies and gentlemen. Not tonight, because uh, we already have a lot of stuff to cover um, as we go through some of the latest developments happening in the arena of election fraud. Uh, should I say proof of election fraud? Uh, should I say hard evidence of election fraud? Uh, you know, this is, this, is the, this is the jibe here over at the C-Report. Uh, it's one of the main arteries of this, uh, of this, uh, this news show. Uh, is continuing to uh, continuing to uh, uh, disseminate all of the information that is available in regards to the goings on in the uh, states uh, from 2020. Now, of course, and I say this to the benefit of those who might be new to uh, the C report or might be new to this entire different wavelength of news and reporting and stories and current events. Of course, we know that election fraud uh, is no stranger to the shores of America, West Coast, East Coast, or Third Coast, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and that it is most likely occurred for years on decades. And I'm uh, willing to say uh, 100% decades, uh, particularly when we consider the introduction of the electronic voting machines. Boy, oh boy, it just became super easy at that point for them because uh, they no longer had to count on the, the chads hanging, right? Uh, they, could, uh, they could simply uh, squander or uh, change the vote however they wanted to. Uh, by way of uh, manipulating the machines. And uh, I think for a very long time, a lot of us who uh, felt in our gut that something was up in regards to uh, these electronic voting machines and exactly how they, uh, they uh, cheated and swindled Americans, disenfranchised, lied, and stole Americans' vote, voice, and freedom, I think a lot of us I think a lot of us out there probably wondered uh, or probably speculated exactly how this was accomplished. I think a lot of us out there uh, probably probably zeroed in on the uh, the memory cards, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if we think, for example, the Diebold uh, or the Diebold, however you want to pronounce it, machines uh, who used the memory card. I think those ones were the most prevalent. And of course now they've gotten, you know, they've gotten digital, they've gotten touchscreen, uh, they've gotten uh, all different types of, uh, of, uh, mechanisms and, uh, modern technologies to, uh, spruce up and fancy up the, uh, the, uh, the machines that we are utilizing at this uh, day and time. Well, they're not that far much advanced, but the Diebold machines, ladies and gentlemen, if you think about those Diebold machines and the memory cards, uh, I'm pretty sure that that was where we zeroed in on. Of course, if we take a look into history and uh, we uh, and if we recall, uh, you know, such hairy, smelly Sasquatch characters as Hari Hursty, uh, who has worked for the United Nations and actually uh, hosted an envoy of foreigners to uh, spectate our elections, uh, I believe, back in 2018 and in 2020. Um, uh, that Harry Hursty, uh, going on a, a decade or more ago, actually exposed how easy it was to, uh, to uh, defraud 
the vote uh, by using and manipulating the memory cards on the Diebold machines, right? And then, of course, if any of you guys are uh, are privy to, uh, you know, that uh, that lame mainstream uh, pop media and shows out there, um, I'll never forget. It was on uh, it was on that show uh, Scandal. Escandalo! You guys know which one I'm talking about by that uh, black hat deep stater Shonda Rhimes. Um, and, uh, and there was one episode where they were talking about stealing elections and they featured the fraud used by that memory card, right? And, uh, they showed America exactly how they stole that election and, uh, you know, put their selected representative in for the deep state goons or, you know, whomever it was that, uh, was the enemy uh, at that time in that show, And, uh, you know, I remember seeing that episode and thinking like, wow, they're really telling us how they do it. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, never sit around on our laurels, right? Because obviously, the first thing we should think is if they're showing us this, they're probably doing it another way, right? And uh, nothing could be further from the truth, or nothing could be closer to the truth, right? How do I say that? I got it backwards. Did I get that backwards, guys? Because absolutely positively, as we have seen, as the uh, drama has unfolded in this uh, election integrity and election fraud theater that we have been witnessing uh, since the 2020 election, since 3 November, we have been able to witness and document various types of election fraud that we may have never thought have occurred. Uh, we've seen them go to lengths in our discovery as we've uh, traveled on this journey with the investigators, with the freedom fighters, with those who are seeking to um, restore the integrity of our vote and restore its sacredness. We've, uh, we've learned the m- numerous mechanisms that they utilize to defraud America. And indeed, as uh, the amount of Americans that turned out to vote in 2020, which, you know, as we gather, was, uh, was a far greater number than it turned out in 2016, um, the deep state elitists, the treasonists, the uh, communists, the, whatever you want to call them, they had to initiate almost every single type of voter fraud and election fraud that they could in order to pull off the greatest heist of election theft in the history of this country. So, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, yeah, oh, we got some tonight. We got some tonight. Um, and this is, uh, this is news worth repeating in case any of you guys have heard these stories before. Uh, Because there are plenty of people out there who are barely waking up. There's plenty of people who need to know. And there's plenty of people who may have forgotten exactly what we're talking about. But we're not going to do a deep dive into the uh, hard fraud and the hard evidence that would would suggest we impose decertification. Uh, We did that with Georgia and we did that with with Wisconsin last week. And we did a deep dive into the the bare knuckles hard fact of why Wisconsin and Georgia can and should be decertified. Because that vote... And those elections are 100% um, 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 untrustworthy, 
uh, where a lack of confidence is instilled by all of the mismanagement or all of the intentional fraud that was employed. Well, like I said, we won't be doing a deep dive into any particular state tonight, but what we will be doing is bringing you updates on uh, some uh, some compelling, compelling events that have happened. Uh, we will take a look at Wisconsin updates and developments. We will take a look at Pennsylvania. We will take a look at Michigan. We will take a look at Texas, ladies and gentlemen, and... We've got breaking news. Now, I didn't break the news, but uh, it's going to break, ladies and gentlemen, the elections in Georgia uh, because there's some startling events that happened in Georgia uh, coming out uh, today. And, uh, well, I cannot wait to get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I was just remarking on the other show, the other episode the other day, uh, that I was having a tough time because I put my money on Georgia to decertify first. And then they had to go and find all of this hard fraud in Wisconsin. You know, uh, they had to go and find that the uh, Wisconsin Election Commission went ahead and uh, uh, told everybody, uh, every county in the state, uh, to go ahead and uh, um, legalize uh, ballot harvesting against, uh, you know, uh, individuals and in nursing homes and rehabilitation centers that might have been totally incapacitated, that might have been in a coma, but go ahead, harvest that ballot. Uh, we can't have any uh, deputy election workers go into those nursing homes or rehabilitation centers because after all, there's a, a fear that it could catch COVID. However, if the fish tank cleaner needs to come and clean that fish tank, it's perfectly fine for that person to come in. So therein we see where that story is going to totally fall apart. Uh, and um, if there's any sense of justice, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm feeling justice. You know, I'm really feeling justice. Like, uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of uh, giving me tingles all about. It's, it's running up and down my blood, and it's, uh, it's uh, sending electricity through my spine. Let me tell you what, guys. Georgia? Hmm. So now I'm back to square one, ladies and gentlemen. Is it going to be Georgia or is it going to be Wisconsin? Because at this point, I've already discounted Arizona. Uh, You know, I mean, uh, the one thing that we can do for Arizona, the one thing that I think we can most definitely say about Arizona is that they paved the way. They gave us a blueprint of exactly what a thorough and full forensic audit looks like. They call it the golden standard, never been done before in this country or anywhere else. And I don't think anyone could take that away from Arizona. But the inaction that has happened in Arizona since that time uh, is disgusting, to be quite frank. And that's not uh, to put any of the, uh, the blame on uh, uh, any of the representatives, the forensic audits team, the people of Arizona. Everything lies in that corrupt judiciary. And I think we're starting to see the judiciary, an example, A.G. Brnovich, might be corrupt. Okay, might be corrupt. And uh, it's easy to say that, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you got this guy, uh, you know, uh, flicking around his nunchucks and you got him, uh, you know, uh, going fishing and hunting. As opposed to really uh, squaring down on that uh, that fraud in the report that was found, you have him fast tracking 
Secretary of Snakes Katie Hobbs like uh, elect- election manual for uh, the following uh, election season. And yet he cannot seem to get off of his duff and, uh, you know, actually uh, do something about it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is how I feel. But for the benefit of doubt and also uh, for the grace of hope and faith, uh, let's say for the grace of faith, not hope, right? For the grace of faith, I will say this because uh, there are always possibilities out there, ladies and gentlemen. And right now we're in a sea of speculation about Arizona. Very easy to say that this man is, uh, is a bastard who is not doing anything for his country. Very easy to say. Uh, but I will hold on to this one nugget, okay, this one tiny little nugget, and that is what if someone pumped his brakes until we had enough states ready to decertify so they can just throw it in the bucket, right? And then at the same time as uh, investigations go, uh, we don't know if there's possibly a grand jury involved in uh in uh, the Arizona uh, matter with the AG. So again, guys, I'm just uh, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not putting any of my money on it. But uh, as grand juries go, sometimes we don't know that that they are occurring. Sometimes they happen in secrecy. Um, so I'm just saying, we can't give up a thousand percent just yet, because we don't know what's going to happen. Once Wisconsin and Georgia pull that election. And right now, Wisconsin and Georgia are so close, ladies and gentlemen, they could have decertified it months ago based on the fraud that we uh, reminded and shared with uh, on this, uh, this uh, show uh, last week. But with what is coming out now in Georgia, particularly, and with the tenacity of uh, former Supreme Court Justice of Wisconsin, uh, Michael Gableman, in, uh, in that state. Uh, that man is locked on, guys. That man has locked on, and he's not letting go. So um, they could very well decertify, guys. I'm just glad I didn't put any money down on any particular state. Now, I said Georgia first. That was my first bet, okay? My first bet was Georgia. Got a little disappointed. Uh, but now... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard the news, uh, it's quite damning. So we'll talk about that tonight. That's going to be the that's going to be the depth and the breadth of tonight's episode. We love talking about election fraud here at the C Report because we love being able to illustrate, show, explicate uh, the facts that have been discovered, investigated, found. Okay. So this way we can go share with those individuals out there who doubt, who naysay, all those doubting Thomases out there who are like, there's no such thing as election fraud. It didn't happen. We didn't find one, a piece of empirical evidence that suggests that fraud occurred in 2020. Yeah, well, apparently you ain't reading below the waves, ladies and gentlemen, because the currents that are happening beneath the headlines of the mainstream media are so strong. And of course, the mainstream media is so shallow right now that no one is paying attention to it. And I think people are more willing to uh, actually uh, dig a little bit deeper right now. And so uh, to that point, it's up to us, ladies and gentlemen, to continue to push out that truth, uh, 
And you don't have to take this responsibility on if you don't want to. But I will. Because I can. And I want to. Um, and so I will do that. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is the... Uh, this is the great matter of the time, okay? This is the issue of the time, okay? It's like I say, you know, we have all of these, uh, all of these uh, yeah, it's kind of smaller issues, you know, that we can fight over. And uh, by we, I mean, of course, the, the various political uh, perspectives, not uh, us present in this room, obviously. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's abortion, uh, whether it's gun control, whether it's... Uh, whether it's uh, the spending bill, you know, whether it's infrastructure, whether it is, uh, whether it is uh, the stupid progressives, you know, anything that we want to fight over is fine in due time, ladies and gentlemen. But can we save our country first? Can we restore our republic first? And uh, election fraud on this scale in particularly, and any scale, honestly, is the main issue, guys, because our vote is our freedom, ladies and gentlemen. It is 100 representative of our freedom, guys. Not just our choice, not just of our decisions and our freedom to decide, not just our ability to say, hey, we get to pick a team, right? If that's the mentality that we have. But literally, without that vote, we have no freedom, Unless we have a, uh, a banana republic election, right? Unless we have a Venezuelan election, right? Which is kind of what we saw. I mean, we saw all playbooks come out, guys. They didn't just do the, uh, the electronic voting machine fraud. They didn't just do, uh, you know, running up duplicate ballots. They pulled out the Venezuela playbook, too. They pulled out all the playbooks and they put it into one. And then they just got so messy which still baffles my mind. Like, uh, you would think if you're going to try and pull something off like this, you would think if you had four years to prepare for the greatest fraud in election history in the history of this planet, that you would dot your I's and cross your T's, make sure your syntax is correct and that grammar is spot on because there's no room for error once uh, the sleeping giant has awoken and we woke up in 2016, I think, in a much vaster, um, a much vaster amount, a vast amount, uh, uh, grammar, right, uh, than, uh, than we ever have, ladies and gentlemen. More of us are awake now. More of us are waking up. And uh, more of us are actually doing something. And now we have representatives who are actually listening and acting on the will of those they represent. It's a shame it's such a small number, ladies and gentlemen. That is a fact that does not elude me. But where we have that pool, we are managing to do something. And so for that, I am grateful. And uh, we will press on. So don't let me, uh, don't let me uh, stay on this uh, soapbox for too much longer because we got a lot to cover. Um, thank you again for joining us tonight. We are live on all stations. Uh, we are live over at the foxhole.app, pill.net, twitch.tv, dlive, uh, clouthub.app, and also trovo.live, I think it is what it's called. Uh, so thank you again for joining us all if you are with us out there live. 
We do this uh, every night of the week, uh, God willing and health providing. Uh, We'll be here to share the stories and the headlines of the day and possibly the week. Uh, Tonight's stories are brought to you by the Wisconsin Daily Star, the Wisconsin State Journal, the World Tribune, KDKA CBS Pittsburgh, Just the News, the Gateway Pundit, the Pennsylvania Daily Star, 100% Fed Up, and Michigan Live. I don't make this stuff up myself, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Before we hop on in to getting to tonight's stories, I'm going to do a quick drop over into the chat room at uh, pill.net and the foxhole.app. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for joining us. Relanon, great to have you with us. I appreciate the 117 gold pills donation coming in this way. Babs the Ice Queen asks, is this a rerun? It says December 2021. Does it say that? (laughs) Oh... I got you, Babs. Yeah, you know, I thought it was this right here. Watch the screen. Whoop. Yeah, I, uh, I actually adjusted that right before the show, but I think I know what you're talking about. Thank you for pointing that out, Babs. <laughs> oh, goodness. You see, uh, we, we, we work within the boundaries of our imperfections here at the Sea Report, but I do appreciate you, hun. And uh, thanks for popping in and saying hello. Tam Growl, good to see you, ma'am. Uh, Tam Growl says, oh no, I have the spinny wheel again. Grrr. Well, hopefully that wheel doesn't spin too much because this wheel's on fire, ladies and gentlemen. All right, thank you for gifting the can as well. Cheers to the miracles in 2022. I'm going to say miracles, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we, 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 ex- uh, we, 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 sorry. <laughs> we accept miracles As they come, ladies and gentlemen, most definitely. Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie, sir, and good to see you tonight. Thank you for for the two cookies. Much appreciated. Uh, Arizona can be and looks like a disappointment, but but, but don't throw all of your emotions into the negative. Just have have that faith. Come on. Me and you, Tam Growl, we're going to clack our heels together and we're going to say there's nothing like A.G. Brnovich, uh, you know, uh, sending the perps on a walk for defrauding the people of Arizona. There's nothing like A.G. Brnovich uh, uh, sending the perps on a walk for defrauding the people of Arizona. Let's do it together. Let's see, uh, Flash Drive Kid, good evening, sir. Welcome into the program, uh, or welcome into the chat room, I should say. Good to have you with us. And uh, Flash Drive Kid says, Mr. C, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate it in the professional manner. Oh, well, you're most welcome, sir. I'm just doing what I do, how I do it. And, uh, and I uh, hope you enjoy the show, sir. And uh, the information we are imparting with you all tonight. Uh, creative writer, uh, gifting the can. Thank you so much for your donation, sir. So happy to catch your broadcast tonight. Please keep up the outstanding information flow. Most welcome and thank you for those words, sir. And uh, I-, I will revert to the prior, just doing what I do, how I do. And uh, happy to uh, be here, just doing what I can, doing my part. I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel I could be doing more, but... Uh, but yeah, we got to stay on this election fraud stuff, guys, because this is this is to, in my opinion, this is the issue of the time, right? This is the issue of the time. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I appreciate the way you're doing this and classy way you you see. <laughs> you, Sarah Mar, thank you. You're gonna make me. You're gonna make me turn as red as my blazer, sir. It's very nice for somebody uh, delivering a punchline. <laughs> With a classy manner. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I got some jokes uh, when I'm lucky. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Him and his nunchucks. Yep, indeed. 
Uh, Tam Grawl says, I think Raffensperger had a nervous breakdown. Let me tell you what, Miss Tam Growl. Man, I, you know, I've said it several times that little Brad Bradford Raffensperger has probably had many a sleepless night since, uh, since uh, the ball really got rolling on exposing this fraud. Like, I know. I mean, he looks like a nervous Nelly to begin with. He looks like, he looks like the shaky character. Like, you know, he's just like uh, Mr. Anxiety. I cannot even imagine, guys. I cannot even imagine what that man must be feeling right now. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We actually have an interview for you guys tonight with Bradford Raffensperger so you can hear the the fraud communist rhino himself and uh, from his own words, guys. And I almost want to do a play-by-play on this interview, but uh, I really had to share this with you guys because uh, you don't get to see Bradford in, or, or hear Bradford speak at length uh, pretty much at all, uh, let alone in an interview on an independent media program uh, where they're asking him real questions. So we'll see how Bradford handles that tonight. And uh, I think you guys will probably enjoy that as much as I did. Uh, we have a, another new name in the chat room, uh, Jim Bob 71 I've been lurking and I'm appreciative of your approach and reporting. Thanks. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, and I appreciate the sentiments and uh, feel free to lurk away. Um, and But thank you for popping up and saying hello. Uh, Vet and more joining us in the chat room with a can or a cookie. I apologize. Thank you for gifting the cookie. And uh, happy New Year's to you as well, um, Vet and more. And uh, yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, guys. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's report. Um, as always, President Trump leads at the Sea Report. So we're starting off with a statement from President 45, President Trump. Now, guys, uh, this uh, statement is in reference to uh, the announcement that was made yesterday in regards to him canceling his uh, January 6th uh, press conference. Of course, uh, we had a we had a, a short statement uh, that was released saying that he would not be holding the press conference. I threw out a little bit of information about uh, you know uh, the president select uh, the illegitimate joke, the clown in chief, pedo, sleepy, creepy Joe. Uh, also uh, having some kind of a speech, and then also um, the vice uh, the vice step kid in charge. Uh, Kamala Harris also giving some kind of a presentation. And of course, that was all about uh, the further demonization of, uh, of the, uh, the uh, good patriotic Americans who are currently being held as political captives by the deep state elitists in uh, wherever they are, Washington, D.C., I guess. I mean, who knows if that's even where they are, right? Um, and then also to further their narrative in uh, in trying to uh, to demonize uh, all of the peaceful Americans that gathered that descended upon Washington D.C. on January sixth, and it's interesting because we've seen as the January sixth false flag riot event has unfolded 
that a lot of this, and we all knew this, we all knew this before we got there, ladies and gentlemen. We all knew what the score was before even any of us landed in Washington, D.C. I was there. I know a lot of the people in the audience were there, but we already knew what was up. We knew something was going to go down. We knew to expect some type of an operation happening on the ground there. And the interesting thing about it is that all of our conspiracy theories have turned into fact. They have solidified into stone, hard, cold truth that cannot be refuted, but only hidden by the likes of Pelosi and the unselect committee who are currently driving this uh, into the lake. You know, I mean, come on. We have a bona fide radical who wanted to separate the southern states of America and create new Africa in the 1960s and 70s. Who's heading up the dang committee? Okay, never mind the rhino traitor commies, uh, Cheney and Kinsinger. You know, think about that dude. I mean, he is a he is a hardcore radical who's even been involved in murders, not actually murdered, but, uh, you know, on site. And we actually did an entire uh, episode on that dude. What was his name? Ben Johnson or something like that? Anyways, I don't recall his name, but he's the guy who's in charge of the committee. Bonafide radical guys from like literally, literally a separatist, uh, you know, wanting to uh, wanting to create a brand new Republic of Africa right here in the great country of America. Okay. And no one seems to think about that, right? No one seems to think about that, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, yeah, they're driving their narrative into a lake currently. Uh, and then all the evidence will come up. But it already has come up, guys, because there are so many independent news outlets out there that are doing such a smashing good job of, uh, of showing us that evidence, of digging deep, looking into the investigations, getting the videos, getting the transcripts, getting the names, bringing justice, hopefully, but definitely, um, definitely uh, um, bringing uh, respect and honor to the fallen. Uh, because we're learning that there were actually more patriots who died that day than was first reported. Ashley Babbitt was the first one. We've had like, what, two other ladies since then that were, were, uh, were found to have been killed. One of them was marched out by the Capitol Police. But as I was saying, when we landed there, before we got to Washington, D.C., we knew something was going on, you know. And now all of that is coming out. And uh, it, it's interesting because... As I recall, I recall 1.7 million Americans, I'm guesstimating, uh, peacefully, peacefully there to protest, to show their presence, standing against the violations of our Constitution and the theft of our country. I don't remember any kind of a riot. But of course, as the story has unfolded, all of that happened before my butt got to the Capitol, right? So uh, anyways, guys, uh, that's what they're doing. Uh, the, uh, the clowns in charge right now, they're uh, getting together for the speech. And so President Trump has decided that he will not be holding his press conference. And there was some great speculation about what could be uh, transpiring at this press conference, uh, the things that could have been said, right? But, well... He released a thorough statement about it. Uh, this came late evening yesterday. So let's go ahead and take a look at what the president had to say. And uh, let me go ahead and expand that just a little bit because, you know, I like to get I like it to be easy on the eyes. 
as they say, ladies and gentlemen. Now it says, uh, in light of the total bias and dishonesty of the January 6th unselect committee of Democrats, two failed Republicans and the fake news media, I am canceling the January 6th press conference at Mar-a-Lago on Thursday and instead will discuss many of those important topics at my rally on Saturday, January 15th in Arizona. It will be a big crowd. What has become more and more obvious to all is that the lamestream media will not report the facts that Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Sergeant at Arms denied requests for the D.C. National Guard or military to be present at the Capitol. Their emails and correspondence with the Department of Defense exist, but the media won't ask for this evidence or report the truth. This is the Democrats' great cover-up committee, and the media is complicit. Why did Adam Shifty Schiff forge and change the statement of Congressman Jim Jordan without any consequence? Why will crazy Nancy Pelosi not provide her communications with the House Sergeant at Arms and the House Chief Administrative Officer, or promise to retain these vital messages, which many feel she has already destroyed, perhaps illegally? Also, why is the many why is it that many why is the primary reason also why is the primary reason for the people coming to Washington DC which is the fraud of the 2020 presidential election not the primary topic of the unselect committee's investigation this was indeed the crime of the century i look forward to seeing our great american patriots in arizona next weekend for a big rally to save America. And that's what it's all about right now, ladies and gentlemen. If you think that we've been trying to save America for decades, and we have, well, the battlefield is occupied right now, ladies and gentlemen, and we are on it. We may, be at the, we, we, are, we may not be at the front lines, but we are definitely not on the sidelines and uh, we are definitely making up that body of uh, troops who are standing to fight for the restoration of our republic and for the integrity and sacredness of our elections. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we will be talking about tonight. Uh, real quick, before we get into the first stories for the evening, I just wanted to uh, thank uh, W.C. Cranop. Good evening, sir, for the uh, cookie. Uh, I appreciate the snack, sir. Goes well with the dinner I just had. 123SKG, good to see you, sweetie, and glad to have you with us tonight. Thank you for gifting that cookie. And also, two in the pink, gifting a can. I appreciate you, sir. That will wash the cookies down just fine, sir. And uh, thanks for being here with us again tonight. Good to see you, as always. On the speaking easies in the house. What's up, brother? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. And uh, let's see here. Okay. All right. I was reading this comment from Flash Drive Kid. What I'm trying to say is if people actually storm the capital of uh, the UIs, there's a whole underground facility. Oh, yes. Well, I saw the word storm in people and I thought about us first. <laughs> all righty, guys. Let's go ahead and jump into tonight's report before I get too long-winded. Too late. 
All right, so the first uh, state we're going to talk about tonight is Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, like I said, we did kind of a featurette on uh, uh, Georgia and Wisconsin respect uh, in their respective episodes last week, uh, where we were just, you know, uh, um, uh, putting out on the table exactly why we believe that they could decertify now had we a just and non-incorrupt uh, judiciary and legislative, right? If uh, people were actually doing their jobs, uh, we probably would have had these to certify because there's a lack of confidence, a very specific lack of confidence in the elections uh, brought up by the points that we brought to our attention. Of course, again, we're thinking about the actions of the uh, Wisconsin Election Commission and how they unlawfully um, um, mandated for uh, um, nursing home um, workers to uh, uh, harvest votes of residents there. But then, of course, there are other things that have been coming up in that regard. Because, again, like I said, it's hard to find, it seems for some reason in Wisconsin, it's hard to find the fraud. No, Nothing sticks there. They have a corrupt attorney general in uh, Wisconsin who happens to work for Perkins Coy, right? They have a governor that will not support. Uh, they have a, a House and Senate that is really piddling their toes. I mean, I don't want to take away anything from Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, but we even had him on video saying that there was no election fraud in Wisconsin. Those were his words in an undercover video that was taken of him. Okay. So again, not to say that he's not fighting for this country, but uh, the ultimate issue right now is election integrity. So uh, I don't see uh, I don't see how or why uh, someone who's fighting for our country would uh, would feel that way. So, like I said, hard to find the fraud. They don't got the fight. They got one representative, Representative uh, Janelle Branchin, who's doing all she can. Poor lady on her own, okay? And then we have, uh, we have uh, House Speaker Robin Voss, the rhino in the flesh, who's done nothing for election integrity and all of the fraudits that he's had since uh, November, December 2020, all of a sudden has unleashed this hound known as Michael Gableman. Uh, and this guy's really going for the jugular. And his main, f- uh, his main fix right now is... Uh, is if any laws were broken in regard to the election process in Wisconsin, because that's the route that they're going to have to go to get this decertified. And indeed, ladies and gentlemen, we have discovered beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, laws were in fact broken in Wisconsin. And this also centers around the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the centers around that organization and the way that they uh, the way that they embedded themselves into the Wisconsin election by way of the money that was given by uh, one Mark Zuckerberg and his wife uh, was her name Cynthia Chan or something like that, uh, and they did that to uh, several of the states, uh, almost all of them, ladies and gentlemen, millions of dollars being infused into the elections uh, to boost Democrat and progressive numbers. And uh, most definitely, it was not done in a way that was uh, fair uh, to um, any and all political parties but one. Now, that's what they're trying to prove, okay? So where we left off in Wisconsin is uh, we see that uh, we have uh, Gableman having issued subpoenas. Now, the main, uh, the main bone he's going after right now has to do with the Wisconsin Five, 
Madison, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Kenosha, and Racine, okay? Now, in those particular municipalities, which are the largest in the state, uh, that's where we see uh, the majority of Mark Zuckerberg's money went into, and that's where we also see the Center for Tech and Civic Life really embedding themselves into the state. Now, Wisconsin is a swing state. is very important for them to ensure that they got that state and uh, they had their way with it. But where they messed up, ladies and gentlemen, is when they had one of their representatives uh, from an organization called the, uh, the, National, the, Inst- the National Institute Vote at Home Institute, uh, which works under the umbrella of the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And the founder of that institute, one Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, actually going into Madison right now, for sure, they're looking at Racine as well. But going into Madison, okay, uh, and and they have the paper trails, they have the documents, they have the communications, they have the emails, they have the communications from the hotel saying that you cannot allow anyone into the counting room until Michael Spitzer Rubenstein is present, okay? Now, in Wisconsin, of course, uh, the Secretary of State doesn't actually run the elections. Uh, those are given back to the municipalities to run their elections. Uh, it, it's headed by the uh, city clerk, and uh, it is also supervised by the mayor themselves and a commission or a board of people who uh, are um, assigned to work that election. So it doesn't rest on the secretary of state in the state of Wisconsin, but according to city and state law, only the clerk is allowed to have access and to run the elections. Now, where the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the National Vote at Home Institute messed up is the mayor handed the keys to the city, so to speak, to Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, and the clerks were left in the dust. And we have uh, also read communications from uh, various clerks in Wisconsin who had something to say about that, who knew that it was not right, who knew that Michael Spitzer Rubenstein should not have been running those elections, and they even called him out on it. And we even had one of the uh, clerks, I believe in Madison, who was like, I don't even know what to do. Uh, What good is it for me to suggest anything? They're not listening to me anyways. It's just going to be the way that Michael Spitzer Rubenstein thinks it should happen. That's from an email communication. Uh, You can uh, revisit, uh, I think, probably three episodes ago where we reviewed that for you guys. So um, at this point, Michael Gableman... Uh, the uh, the bulldog that's been hired to investigate um, the the fraud and or broken laws in Wisconsin, uh, he has issued subpoenas. He has issued subpoenas to uh, have the mayors of Madison and Racine uh, come in for um, um, to uh, give a deposition or to testify or, or you know to give a statement under oath. They've refused to. So uh, Michael Gableman has actually contacted um, um, the Racine sheriff and the Madison County Sheriff to have them arrested for, for not going in on a subpoena. Okay. Um, so there's that going on. Uh, and then we also have again, the attorney general as well as the, uh, as well as the uh, governor who uh, sued to quash the subpoenas as well. So that's all the hubbub right now. Now catching up with that, um, we have a, a report from the Wisconsin Daily Star um, because those subpoenas, they're going to have a hearing on them 
on January 10th, and a judge will decide whether or not they will dismiss the subpoenas, which means uh, that Michael Gableman uh, cannot um, cannot uh, subpoena and uh, question these people. Um, and, uh, and then, I mean, I guess we'll be at a loss there in Wisconsin if that's what happens, okay? So that's happening on January 10th, right? In a few days, five days. But uh, nevertheless... In, in spite of this slow-rolling lawfare practice like they normally do, right? This is the long game, right? It takes a lot of patience and a lot of integrity and a little bit of stamina. Um, Michael Gableman has gone ahead and issued more subpoenas. He's not waiting for the judge to rule on whether or not the mayors are going to question him. He's not waiting for the judge to rule on whether or not the head administrator of the Wisconsin Election Commission can be questioned in his office. He's not waiting. Uh, according to the uh, Wisconsin Daily Star, the Wisconsin Office of Special Counsel election investigator Michael Gableman filed 70 more subpoenas in the Wisconsin election investigation. Seven zero, 70 more subpoenas, guys. <laughs> this man is on fire. Uh, let's see. It says here that the Western Journal reported Gableman filed subpoenas for state entities, the Wisconsin Election Commission, state employees, mayoral staffers, and IT departments. Ladies and gentlemen, I kind of like this Michael Gableman. And uh, let me tell you what, when they first brought him into the scene, I highly doubted the man. Uh, highly doubted the man because uh, I viewed him as a product of Robin Voss, ladies and gentlemen, and Robin Voss ain't nothing but a low-down, dirty rhino, and as you know, guys, it is rhino hunting season. Uh, now, this uh, article from the Wisconsin State Journal, Gableman issues new subpoenas to Elections Commission, Madison as part of election review. That's what the headline reads. Let's get that on the screen for you. And uh, it says here, that man is not Michael Gableman, so let's get him off the screen, okay? <laughs> It says here, uh, former state Supreme Justice Michael Gableman, who was hired last year by legislative Republicans to conduct a review of Wisconsin's 2020 election, has issued new subpoenas to officials with the State Elections Commission and City of Madison seeking emails, voting machine information and other election related documents. Uh, let me see if I hadn't needed to skip down here real quick. OK, cool. And we'll go back up here. Now it says, uh, the latest round of subpoenas, which were first reported by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, come as Dane County Circuit Judge Rhonda Lanford weighs whether or not Gableman has the authority to demand a private in-person interview with the Wisconsin Election Administrator Megan Wolf. Lanford plans to issue a decision by January 10th on the case, which stems from Democrat Attorney General Josh Call, who works for Perkins Coy. And that was his October request for a restraining order against the subpoenas issued by Gableman. Okay, moving right along, it says the new subpoenas were issued December 28th to the Wisconsin Elections Commission's Democrat Chairperson Ann Jacobs and Madison's Chief Information Officer Sarah Edgerton and Finance Director David Schmeidick. Uh, though the subpoena incorrectly refers to Schmeidick as Dan. Again, this man is imperfect. And for all his imperfections, they always make sure to uh, pronounce that. Anyways, the article continues, the subpoenas demand testimony from Edgerton and a wide swath of records, including emails, internet logs, and individual voter information. 
Gableman has also demanded records related to Dominion voting systems machines, though the city of Madison does not use those machines. Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes Conway said in a statement Monday, Gable, a statement Monday, Gableman's latest round of subpoenas are yet again demonstrating that they haven't learned nothing about election administration in Wisconsin. Oh, you mean we haven't learned how you uh, defraud and cheat the people of your state? Is that what you're trying to say, Mayor Satya Rhodes Conway? Uh, Let's see. Gableman's team did not respond Monday to an email seeking copies of all subpoenas issued last week. The subpoenas also request any records of payments from several nonprofit groups, including the Chicago-based Center for Tech and Civic Life, which is funded by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Republicans, including Gableman, have targeted CTCL funds and as unfairly increasing turnout in the Democrat strongholds of Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Kenosha and Racine. Uh, moving right along down here, talks about Voss. We don't want to talk about Voss. Uh, it says here, uh, in addition to the widening scope of Gableman's probe, mounting court battles could also lengthen the review's timeline. A Waukesha County judge last month scheduled a hearing for January 21st on Gableman's request that Waukesha County Sheriff compel the mayors of Madison and Green Bay, Green Bay to meet with him or else face possible jail time. So that corrects my statement from before. It's the Waukesha County Sheriff going after the mayor of Green Bay and Madison uh, for defying those subpoenas. And uh, Gableman had initially requested interviews with the mayors and city clerks in five cities, a demand he later rescinded, but in a legal filing in Waukesha, um, County, Gableman asked for an order compelling Rhodes Conway and Green Bay Mayor Eric Genrich to comply with an October 22nd legislative subpoena. Uh, Now, the interesting thing about that, guys, is when we're talking about the sins of the mayors and the Wisconsin Five, um, Eric Eric Genrich, um, the mayor of Green Bay, he's the one who got the ball rolling. And Eric Genrich they have the documentation on him allowing Michael Spitzer Rubenstein to actually um, run the elections and uh, kind of, you know, bench his uh, his city clerk. So uh, Genrich is Genrich is in trouble, guys. Like justice be served to Genrich because he needs to uh, taste it and see what it feels like. See if it, it digests well with him for everything that he's done. Okay, and then the rest of the article goes on to talk about the efforts of Representative Branchen. Again, like I said, Branchen is also like the only representative there who's actually going after election fraud, like in a meaningful kind of way. She's a chairperson for the Committee on Campaigns and Elections. And uh, currently she's seeking information having to do with electronic issues, uh, data, um, servers. Uh, but I think it's, it's more concentrated on the fact that uh, they created apps that somehow tracked uh, the voters and stuff like that. And uh, it gave access to Rubenstein and CTCL to the voter rolls and voter information, which is illegal according to Wisconsin law and city law because only the clerk and those who are assigned to those duties can have access. And Michael Spitzer Rubenstein was never, ever hired or given a title or even uh, even named as a special, you know, counsel or representative uh, in those efforts. So it's, it's highly illegal what occurred. And that is what Gableman is currently going after, guys. So that is a good update right there. 
in the face of the stalled um, um, subpoenas, Gableman is, he, oh, you want to put five on hold? Well, I'll give you 70 more. Good for you, Michael Gableman. I'm really starting to like this man. And uh, I definitely uh, am glad that uh, House Speaker Robin Voss, the rhino in the flesh, took that little plane ride with uh, President Trump to Alabama. I don't know what President Trump told Robin Voss. He was like, you ever been on a plane ride like this before, Robin Voss? You ever been on a plane ride like this with Jeffrey Epstein? Ah, well, you better hire hire Gableman. Just kidding, guys. That is speculation. (laughs) Oh, is that speculation? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know that that happened, but uh, wouldn't that be fun? Okay, guys. All right. Let's get to one of the let's get to the big ticket today, guys. Let's talk about Georgia. Okay. Okay, so I'm thinking maybe Georgia is going to decertify before Wisconsin now. I'm going to flip-flop on this issue for sure, guys. Uh, But right now, Georgia takes the cake. They take the cake and they eat it too, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Because for all the efforts in Georgia that have, uh, you know, gone through or have been dismissed, because that's already happened, right? Um, This one, I just feel like they can't shake it. Now... I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out because already uh, with the issue that we see in Georgia, um, the Secretary of Snakes, Bradford Raffensperger, uh, he's, uh, he's been forced to open an investigation into this brand new findings, guys. Now, these are the stories that I live for, okay? These are the reasons why I love to share these reports because, man, when you get, when you smell that justice, like, walking around on that plate, it's like, ooh, that smells good, you know? And I'm just... I'm waiting to see something coming out on this. You know, I get, I'm very excitable when it comes to stuff like this, guys. I'm very excitable when it comes to stuff like this. Um, But, uh, well, the situation in Georgia, it has to do with um, the story that we shared about ballot trafficking, okay? So something big has come out in that regard. Something so huge that Bradford Raffensperger is having his come to Jesus moment over it. Now, you want to talk about sleepless nights, ladies and gentlemen? You want to talk about shaking in your boots? You want to talk about messing up your underoos? I'm sure Bradford is familiar with all three of those, uh, all three of those afflictions at this point in time. Uh, but before we get into the story, I want to share with you all the interview uh, that we have of Bradford Raffensperger, the Secretary of Snakes of Georgia, who certified a fraudulent election, who knew what was going on because he had he had a reporter on the ground taking neurotic notes about everything that transpired, who had a 29-page report in his hand as early as December okay, of 2020, who knew that there was chain of custody issues, who knew that there was severe mismanagement, who knew that they were double and triple stuffing the ballot boxes. All of this is in the report. And this report was broken wide open by John Solomon of Just the News. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, I'm absolutely tickled 
that the interview that we have tonight with Bradford Raffensperger is actually with John Solomon of Just the News, which it, to me, it's very entertaining. And I think the way that John Solomon delivers this line of inquiry is very tactful, very, very professional, knowing that he broke the story about Bradford Raffensperger. And I call him Bradford. I used to call him Bradley, but it's Bradford. I get his mother named him Bradford. Okay. So I, Brad, I used to call him little Bradley. Okay. Bradford Raffensperger, right. Um, knowing that, uh, he broke the story that showed that Bradford Raffensperger had knowledge beyond a shadow of a doubt of everything that was going on at the State Farm Arena on election night plus five. John Solomon just hooks him with his questions, reels him in slowly, and then gets to the meat of uh, what he's really wanting to know. Um, so let's go ahead and get this uh, interview rolling. And I'm just setting you guys up for good audio right now. And uh, we will get this going. Okay, guys, let's, uh, I'm going to put Bradford on the screen for you. Because <laughs> this is Bradford's come to Jesus moment, y'all. So uh, let's get this going, guys. Hello, America, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where yesterday I told you you'd be hearing a lot more about a term called harvesting. We're not talking about farming now, unless we're talking about farming ballots, because that's what we're talking about. It's an election tactic where third party people go out and gather people's absentee ballots and go and deliver it for them. Now, in some states like California, harvesting is legal. In a handful of states. In most states, including the most important battleground states, places like Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, harvesting is expressly prohibited because of its potential for abuse. Why is it illegal in the states? Well, people are concerned of things like pressure. Someone shows up at your house repeatedly saying, fill out your ballot. Maybe someone's pressured to vote or vote in a way that they didn't intend. Secondly, it's a chain of custody issue. If, you're, if you don't deliver your own ballot, you don't know where that ballot goes before it does get delivered. And so states like Georgia have outlawed it for a very long time. We had a recent story recently where a very senior official in Pennsylvania got caught letting his wife deliver his ballot, which was an illegal form of harvesting. So that is why many of the states today don't allow it. California being one of the exceptions, of course. Arizona recently so had a ballot a whole bunch some of cases where Mark Burnovich, the attorney general, has brought prosecution to people who were illegally harvesting ballots in November 2020. So today you're going to hear from Brad Raffsenberger, the secretary of state of Georgia, and he is going to tell us about an investigation he has launched into the practice or allegations of harvesting in uh, Georgia during the 2020 November election and the January runoff election. Two very big elections that one, one affected the outcome of the presidential race, the other swung control of the United States Senate to Democrats when it was in control of Republicans before that. So uh, two consequential elections, Brad Rassenberger is gonna tell us what he's doing, what's going on. We're also gonna talk about a lot of other things. What went on in that famous call? with President Trump 
what is going on with the new election integrity law and what's going on in Fulton County, the largest voting metropolis in Georgia, where there are serious reservations of mismanagement years, decades of mismanagement in Fulton County. All of those are are very important aspects to how the future elections are going to play out in Georgia. Will 2022-2024 be better in Georgia? Will Fulton County be in state receivership? We're going to ask all of those questions, Brad Raffsenberger, in a few seconds. We're going to dedicate the whole show to that, so we're not going to waste any time. Let's take a quick commercial break here from our great advertisers and sponsors. And when we come back, our exclusive interview with Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger from the great state of Georgia, right after this. Hey, folks, I just got off my back deck where I just grilled some of the great food that I got from my good friends. Hey, when running a business, HR issues can be a All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As promised, we're starting this new year with a very special guest. The Secretary of State from the great state of Georgia is joining us, Brad Raffsenberger. Mr. Secretary, good to have you on the show. Thank you, John. You uh, have been talking for some time now about the importance to keep an eye on non-citizen voting. And over the weekend, going into the holiday weekend, the Secretary of State in Texas announced that he had done an audit of the voter rolls and identified approximately 12,000 people that he believes are foreigners, non-citizens who might have been able to get registered as voters in Texas. You want to get a constitutional amendment in your state to ban voting by non-citizens. You already have a law that does it, but why is it important to you to have a constitutional amendment? Well, laws can be changed. Constitution is much more difficult uh, to change. And then, so therefore, I've already asked and requested the General Assembly to go ahead and put a constitutional amendment on the ballot for November 2022 to make sure that only American citizens vote in our elections in Georgia. State law does preclude uh, non-citizens, but if you look at the Constitution, it just says you have to be a citizen or you can be a citizen, but doesn't preclude non-citizens. There's a little loophole there. And all it takes is a good New York lawyer to figure out that loophole. <laughs> That's and right. next thing you know, we'll have people voting, non-citizens voting in municipal elections. And that would be their first entry point, just like you're seeing in New York City right now. Right. With 800,000 non-citizens who will be voting in their municipal elections. And then just think about what that does for the counties, for their management of their voter rolls. They have actually now two voter rolls, one for local and one for state and federal. And so we think a constitutional amendment uh, is appropriate. But you also, since you did bring up Texas, uh, we've had a very robust uh, non-citizenship check uh, for years now. And we make sure that we go through that because we register over 95% of all new voters through Department of Driver Services, they do a very robust citizenship check. And if they can't verify that, but you have lawful status, then we'll have actually that people we call potential non-citizens. And then they're on our pending list. And before, once you go on a pending list, if you show up to vote because you're on that list, you have to show proof of citizenship. And so that's a very good check for us to make sure we don't have non-citizens voting. Yeah, that is an important one. There was, a uh, over the weekend, one of the judicial nominees, I believe President Biden's nominee for the 11th Circuit, had previously said in an earlier life, they thought using voter ID is a form of voter suppression. Obviously, Georgia has very robust, has always had, and even has more robust now, uh, laws. What do you think about this sentiment now that some are, sh- are sharing that somehow asking for a voter ID or somehow allowing non-citizens to vote are, are good things? Photo ID is supported by all demographic groups from both political parties. Yeah. 
the majority of Democrats and majority of Republicans support photo ID. The only people that don't are these activists on the left side of the aisle that say it somehow is going to reduce people uh, interest in voting or, you know, it, you know, somehow, you know, put up a block for them to vote. But right now in Georgia, over 98% of all people have a driver's license. We provide free identification for any voter that doesn't have that. It's not been an issue. And studies have now shown it does not decrease turnout. Yeah, that's right. And it's so, like you said, it is universally accepted across all political ideologies, race race and ethnicities, age groups. Everybody thinks it's a good idea. It's such an interesting dynamic to see a few make so much noise about it. Um, one of the challenges, and I know you do a good job, this is a very uh, robust thing, but keeping your voter rolls clean and up to date get to be more and more challenging as we have more and more elections because federal law has certain windows where you can't touch the voter rolls. Are you looking at some reforms? reforms? Are there some things that Congress or Washington can do to make sure that secretaries of state like you have time in between elections to clean the voter rolls before the next election? Well, that's one area that we really do need uh, federal reform because it's a federal law, NVRA of 1993-1994, signed into law by President Bill Clinton, Democrat House, Democrat, you know, Senate. Right. And that stops us from able to update our voter rolls 90 days before the election, unless you have a death or something like that. But the challenge that you have is many people don't realize American society is so mobile. If you have 11% of all Americans moving every year, in Georgia, we have seven and a half million voters. Then that's up to 800,000 voters that have moved over the course of the year. That 90-day window is 200,000 voters. And did they move out of state, within the state, out of county, out of precinct? And so there's so much dynamic mobility that we need to be able to update our voter rolls. Now, we did. All right, guys, I'm pausing it right there because that was key. Okay, now, John Solomon tells Raffensperger, Look, uh, federal law says that you have to update your voter rolls. And do you think that's something that should be changed, addressed, amended because uh, y'all don't have enough time? Okay, Brad Raffensperger uh, was put into secretary of office. He was put into that office in 2019, right? Now, between 2019 and the election of 2020, okay, now this this, this uh, voter roll uh, cleanout law that was uh, put in by Bill Clinton, okay, gives them a a window of 90 days where they cannot touch, adjust, clean out anything, the voter rolls. So if you're 90 days ahead of an election, you can no longer touch your voter rolls. So what does Bradford do when he becomes a secretary of state? He pushes back the primary. He pushes it back, pushes it back, pushes it back until it gets to the general. So that this way, They can't clean out their voter rolls. And then after the 2020 theft, he goes and cleans out the voter rolls where they pull out thousands of names of people who've moved, people who died. Okay. And he's saying, oh, this needs to be addressed on a federal level. Oh, little Bradford, I thought you wanted the feds to uh, audit and investigate your elections for you since you want to abscond of your duties as the secretary of state and as the lead office that takes care of elections. Right. Okay. You see, Bradford is great at blaming other people. The first people he blamed was the counties. Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't certify a fraudulent election. It was the counties. You have to, they're the ones who are responsible. And then when that didn't work, oh, well, I mean, if we're going to do an investigation, well, we'll just have Washington, D.C. handle it. You see, he pushes it over 
or he blames other people. But this man pushed back his primary so that he was within that 90 day window where he could not touch the voter rolls. They used all of the dirty voter rolls to pull off uh, in part the heist of the 2020 election. That was part of the ingredients that they used in the altogether recipe that uh, Georgia uh, used to steal the elections. Now back to this. As soon as I got elected, I made sure we got House Bill 316 allowed us to join ERIC, which is that multi-state organization, the Electronic Registration Information Center. So if you move to another state that's an ERIC state, like Texas, right. North Carolina, Alabama, or Florida, and register there, we get notification so we can begin that process of contacting the voter, verifying that they have moved, and then we can begin to take them off the voter rolls. So it really allows us to do this objectively. And that's what I think we need to do is look at objective measures so we have clean, fresh, accurate voter rolls. Yeah, that's such an important thing. I don't think a lot of members of Congress realize it. You know, back in the day, maybe we'd only have a couple elections, but now you may have four or five elections over the course of a year, and it really shortens the window where you have time to go out and clean this. Are you finding any traction? Is there anyone in the House or Senate and Congress that engaged on this and said, you know, this is a good idea. Let's go back and look at it? Well, unfortunately, when we had the House, Senate, and the presidency, uh, there was no reform, particularly uh, by Jody Heiss, the congressman from Georgia. And yet, as soon as Nancy Pelosi got, you know, took over, first thing she did was try to run HR one. Didn't have success the first two years, so she came back with HR one, you know, on steroids, and so just up the ante. And so that's just a federal takeover of elections. What we need is solid reform that lets us have clean, accurate voter rolls that are updated objectively. And that's a, a solid process that Eric has really helped us in Georgia. So we're doing the best we can with the constraints that the federal law you know, places on us. Yeah, such an important thing. I don't think a lot of voters realize that constraint. Um, Heritage recently named Georgia as having the best election integrity laws in the country right now. Your reaction first to that? It didn't surprise me. We've been working hard. Obviously, citizenship verification, uh, photo ID. Uh, we now have photo ID for all forms of voting. So absentee voting now is photo ID based, very similar to what they have in Minnesota. Texas has followed you know, what we've done. Right. And so we are seeing that it's a nonpartisan, bipartisan, because it's an objective measure. And I think that's very important. Uh, we also now have, I think, accountability. I don't know if the, that went into heritage weight, but finally, for the first time, if we have a county that continually fails, like we do in Georgia, it's called Fulton County. Yep that we have accountability measure that we can come in and if they don't improve, then you can actually replace that county election board and then they'll hire a new election director to fix the process. They did that in Florida. Uh, Governor Scott and Governor DeSantis each fixed uh, counties and you never hear about you know, Palm Beach County or Broward County anymore because right. they got their act together. It's very important. Now, you've started that process in Fulton with the state election board. Obviously, there was, an, I guess, a subsequent auditor process of review. Right. They've cleaned out a lot of the leadership in Fulton, uh, probably under the duress that you and your office and the state election board has put on them. Where does that stand and what will elections look like in Atlanta in 2022? Obviously, Fulton County has been feeling the heat. I'm the first one to get them under consent agreement, which allowed us to have a monitor there during the November race, which got us more information. Right. And instead of digging themselves out of the hole, they kept on digging their hole deeper. <laughs> but uh, we are now, review panel will be reporting back to the state election board in January. And it's a bipartisan review panel. 
consists of one Democrat, one Republican election board member, and our general counsel from the Secretary of State's office. So it'll be a thoughtful, you know, thorough process, but we want it improved. And as a Fulton County resident, I want it fixed. But the other other 158 counties, they want it fixed too. It's much too large of a county for us to be waiting while they get the results done. Yeah, it's true. Everyone in the state, it reflects on everyone in the state. And it's been for many decades. It wasn't just November 2020. Uh, Fulton has had these problems. Oh, no, it, goes yeah. back, it went back to 1993. We started doing the research. How long have these folks been messing up? And it's been over 30 years now. Yeah, no, it's, it's what seems like the process is rolling there. Do you, I, I guess you can't prejudge what's going to happen, but in the based on all you learned, because your monitor gave you a pretty big report, uh, uh, do you think it would be best, at least for one election, to have the state run it and make sure they get some momentum and in, in winning philosophy and counting votes there? Let me let the review panel do yeah. their work. I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of the process. Fair enough. Uh, it's very important that we we really let the due process work its way and that everyone can be heard, but there will be objective standards placed on Fulton County. Yeah. That's an important thing. I think that's good news for a lot of people. The new legislature, there's some ideas floating around, some uh, uh, surprising, some not so surprising. But one of those is uh, a proposal from a senator to ban drop boxes that he doesn't feel that they're necessary after the November 2020 election. Where do you stand on on drop boxes? I want to go back and do some history with you, too, because there's this belief that they were invented in 2020. But Georgia law, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I researched this. Georgia law allowed for drop boxes before 2020, just that counties didn't ask for them really until 2020. Is that right? Right. The way current law was written uh, coming into the pandemic, that any county could have a drop box. And as soon as we had the pandemic, obviously with absentee ballots going up, the questions about the, the reliability of the postal service, election directors concerned about people coming into their facility to drop off the absentee ballot. Right. There was a big push to do absentee ballot drop box. The existing law said counties can do that. The only requirement that they had, only one, it had to be on a government property. What the state election board, to get ahead of that, is they were, they were concerned that what would happen is the liberal counties would listen to liberal activists who put pressure on them and they would have no no uh, rules on it, no guardrails. And uh, so they made sure that the state election board, that there'd be uniform restrictions, that there'd be video surveillance, right. and there'd be you know rigorous chain of custody. And by and large, most counties did that. Fulton County had uh, issues, so did the cab with chain of custody. But there was a process in place that we had actually could hold them accountable without that. With SB 202, uh, now that the General Assembly has had time to really watch that process during the pandemic, they said, first of all, there were 35 counties that didn't have a single drop box. They said, we want one drop box for every county, and we want one for every 100,000 people. So it's population-based, and then also on government property, but inside the building, and it'll be available for people to drop that off during hours of early voting. So if they're open seven to seven or eight to five, whatever those hours are, then that's when you have the drop box available. So they seemed to me that would be reasonable. Uh, most of the election directors you know, like that process. Yep. But obviously when it works for the General Assembly, a lot of voices will be heard and we'll just wait and see what the General Assembly you know, comes up with. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. Let that process play out. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and when we come back more with Secretary of State Brad Raffsenberger from the state of Georgia. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. More time to talk here with our guest, 
Brad Raffsenberger, the Secretary of State of Georgia. Now, there's some who actually want to get rid of machine counting and go back to paper ballots. Do you have a philosophy on that? Or do you, do you any concern about machines or paper ballots if they were done the old-fashioned way again? Well, number one is we do have a paper ballot. Uh, and if you look at what Georgia versus Florida on the systems. Right. So we use a ballot marking device, which marks the ballot, and then it prints it out, and that's what you put in your hand. So my son and daughter-in-law live in Florida. They have hand-marked paper ballots, and they make their choices. But no matter how that ballot is marked, by the, with a the ballot marking device or hand-marked, you then, in both states, take it over to a scanner. And that scanner then scans what those votes were. What these people are actually asking for is hand-marked paper ballots, but they also want hand-counted. Yep. Well, if you just had one person on the race, so let's say, John, you and I are both running for, you know, uh, what, what do you want to run for? A county surveyor? How's that? <laughs> that sounds uh, good. County, county librarian. I'm in. It's just me and you in the you, me and you in the race. It's pretty easy to do. Yeah. But you probably have 30 races. You know, you look at uh, 2020, yeah. the 2022 cycles. You're going to have your county commissioners, your sheriff. You know, you have in Fulton County, you actually have a county librarian and a county surveyor. So it goes up and down, and you'd have so many races. How would you count that by hand? Such a good what point. What we showed. When we did the 100% hand recount of all 5 million ballots, the absentee ballots and all the early votes and all the ballots on election day, all 5 million of those paper ballots, we hand counted them and got virtually the same result as the machine. We showed that the machines did not flip the votes. Right. That has been discredited, but there's still people holding on to it. And, and John, we have to understand that, you know, I don't, I assume you're a Republican, but but our side is grieving, you know, and, and, and we're shocked, and it's, it's a shock to the system. But what really happened in Georgia is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential ballot, and yet they voted down ballot. And in the Republican congressional areas, the Republican congressman got 33,000 more votes than President Trump. And that's really what happened in Georgia. Okay, I have to stop it there again real quick, because, again... What Bradford Raffensperger just described to John Solomon is their process of recounting every single ballot, including the fraudulent ballots, and not even taking into consideration that there are fraudulent ballots in that mix of genuine ballots. And then he says, what really happened in Georgia is 28,000 Republicans skipped voting for the president and just voted down ballot. That's really what happened, John Solomon. Okay, if you want to talk about an urban legend, Bradford Raffensperger, I would have to say that is that. How on earth could 28,000 Georgians, you know, who, who cares what political party they're part of, 28,000 Republicans skip voting for a president, vote down ballot. And the proof of that, and this is really the cover job here, because what he's trying to do is cover for the fact that in an election where President Trump should have won, right? And uh, it, it just goes to show that if you have, if you have uh, people down ballot getting 30,000 more votes than the president, and they're on the same party, He's trying to cover up that goof. Again, they didn't dot their I's. They didn't cross their T's. They didn't check their grammar. 
right? They didn't, they didn't, they didn't wipe their butts before they got off, you know, they put their pants up, basically. They did a messy job. And that is a cop-out sham of an excuse for why there were uh um um there were officials 30,000 plus down ballot more than the president of their same party because Republicans decided not to vote for the president. 28,000 of them. Okay. Oh, and let's not forget, they recounted every single ballot versus the machines, which shows that they didn't flip the vote, but they counted the fraudulent ballots also. Now, Bradford Raffensperger didn't get a hold of the uh, the information that Garland Barberito and Voter GA presented to him, which showed by way of investigating the electronic ballot images and batches that there were duplicates that were identifiable to the naked and untrained eye. And of course, Bradford never saw that because the judge dismissed that case after keeping it tied up in the judicial system for almost a year. Let's get to the end of this interview. Yep. Tickets, well, we checked out every single uh, We checked out every single allegation and there was a lot of them. There was one about dead people. Right. We found four, uh, so we're doing a little bit better than Texas. <laughs> That's right, and you they, did. They had, <laughs> they had a pretty big number. I was surprised. I was uh, too. But, yeah, yeah. But I think also what it does show is as your state gets more competitive, all these little what I call leakages are really important. If you're in a 60-40, 70-30 well, if you don't really get – you're within the nearest 1,000 or nearest 2,000 or something like that, you could say it doesn't matter. Right. It does matter, but it's critical when you have states like ours that are so close. Yeah. And we're we're a little bit like Virginia. I think we're still a red state, but we're getting much more competitive. So it's very important that we really you know tighten all these little issues down so people have confidence in the results. So that if someone wins by one thousand votes or ten thousand votes, you know that they actually truly did win. Yeah. Such an important point. And that confidence level is is going to make people come back to the polls that, that might have sat on their hands the last couple of times. So that's important. Um, I want to turn to, I know you've probably talked about this ad nauseum, but I've never seen anyone ask you this question. And there's the famous call that you had with President Trump in the White House a year ago. Now it's hard to believe it's already a year ago. Uh, but I want to ask this, at any point in that call, did you feel threatened to do something? Were you forced to do something. What is your take about, you know, any sense of pressure on that call for you personally? Well, it was pretty obvious what the president wanted. Right. You know, we all want to win. Right. I get that. But when he mentioned that there was 5,000 dead people that voted, actually his people filed that there's 10,315. But we knew that there was, at the time we thought two, we found two more. We checked out all the underage voters. They said there were 66,000, there was zero. Every allegation that was made we talked. We looked at State Farm. We looked at the whole run of tape. We had the FBI and the GBI interview the poll workers that worked there, along with ours, and that got totally debunked. In fact, Bobby Christine, who was President Trump's handpicked successor to U.S. Attorney B.J. Pack, Bobby Christine came to Atlanta from the Southern District, and that's the first thing he looked at. And he dismissed, you know, the investigation, you know, very quickly because there wasn't anything there. So I sell that. I know these, there's a lot of urban legends out there, right. but I knew that what President Trump wanted, and it's just obvious that his people, everybody filled you know, him with a lot of just misinformation and falsehoods, and maybe perhaps they believed it, but it was never supported by the facts. Yeah, and that was important to you, right? If there were facts, you were going to be all in on checking them, oh. but 
They just, yeah. there were things yeah. that you knew didn't exist engineer. at that point, right? Well, I'm an engineer, but also I really believe in the rule of law and following the Constitution. Yeah. This, is, this is the Constitution. You know, this is, you know, this goes back to our founders. You know, this goes back to the Declaration. It's just, and so it's really important that we get it right yep. and we really make, make sure that you don't want to not check out every single allegation because I know that people, you know, want to make sure um, that we did check it out. So we did. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. And let me, uh, when you look back, did anything illegal happen that call in your mind or was it just a bad, a bad idea, uh, badly executed? Or do you think there was something illegal or threatening to you personally that, that violated well, the law? I'm an engineer. I'm not a lawyer. I let yeah. lawyers do that. But, but I just think that we had a conversation and, you know, obviously I just respectfully wanted to let President Trump know that they just want the votes there. And that's what I really tried to convey. And I think our general counsel, you know, when, you know, they made a statement, we just want to respond. No, this is actually what it is. Yep. So that they had the facts. And I know that they didn't like the facts, but those were the facts. Yeah. And as a Republican, I wish President Trump would have won. But our job was to follow the law and follow the Constitution. I want to take you to one last subject because I've been doing some reporting on this. When you look back to the spring of 2020, there was a memo, famous memo, written by the Democrats' top uh, election lawyer saying we need to do four things really to prevail in 2020. One of them was get mass ballot mailing that succeeded in some states, not yours, but in some states they did. Get election clerks to correct absentee ballots that were faulty. Uh, forget all the different, they had four different strategies, but one of them was called harvesting, which a lot of people don't know what that means, but it's when other people go out and they solicit and they grab your ballot and you go deliver it on behalf of another person. Uh, recently, I've learned that your office has received some, uh, I guess, credible allegations, credible information about harvesting. Can you tell us what you've received and what you're doing about it? Well, first off, as soon as I took over in 2019, I made sure that we outlawed ballot harvesting. Up until that point, uh, we had a ruling that had come out of the attorney general's office. It was vague, right? That said it was not. Yeah. It was very vague. Yeah. And so it was, to me, very dangerous. So uh, we incorporated uh, a law the outlaw ballot harvesting, which is very similar to some other states like Arizona and Florida that had those laws in place. So we had that law. And so obviously, and we've actually uh, prosecuted people for ballot harvesting. Um, I've had several cases come before me on the state election board. So we do have uh, some information and we are going to investigate that. We did know that the ballot uh, boxes were under 24-7 surveillance. And because they were, then that really you know can indicate, you know, who dropped that information off, and we're, we're really just going through that. We did a retained MITRE Corporation before the election of fall. The MITRE Corporation, they did a, a statewide ballot harvesting analysis. And what they found is that the statistical analysis of the ballot return rates, they showed no anomalies, and they saw no suspicious indicators of ballot harvesting. But that said, if people give us, you know, credible allegations, we want to make sure that we do that. And we have that right now as an ongoing investigation. And one of the steps is that uh, in order for you to do investigations, I guess the state elections board has to issue subpoenas to compel information. Is that part of the process that you're pursuing right now? That will be one of the processes we're looking at if we have people that don't want to come forward for whatever concern, because we really need to get to the bottom of it. Uh, we just can't let it, you know, sit there and lie. So if it comes to that, 
then that's probably the next step that we'd be looking at. Yeah. And then looking at the video footage, obviously there's millions of minutes of video footage on all these boxes. There are some indications, and we've talked to some of the counties, and it appears that some of the counties didn't preserve all of their video footage. Do you have any insight to whether counties preserve their video footage or not on these cameras that we're protecting or or surveilling the uh, drop boxes? I won't, since we're looking uh, really reviewing this as an investigation, I won't get to the details, but the counties were required to do that. And even if it's not part of this investigation, if there are counties that didn't, you know, keep those records, then they'll be coming before the state election uh, board for uh, violations of, you know, state law. And obviously uh, penalties will be meted out to them. And we do that every time. We don't, you know, we know that there has to be accountability. You know, we work with the counties. They know what the rules are. We don't try to do it with harshness, but we also want to make sure that they understand that we are going to come back and we are checking because it really makes sure that the law is being followed, the administrative code is being followed, but also voter confidence. Because we've been fighting this issue of voter confidence going back to Stacey Abrams. She talked about voter suppression. She lost by 55,000 votes. And then as soon as I took office, I had nine lawsuits from her. We ended up with about four or five more. We beat those all back. But she kept on with that mantra. It was a poll-tested word, voter suppression, goes back to 2014. And she just really waited four years later when she ran for governor to come up with this, you know, voter suppression. She also talked about she uh, wanted to have non-citizens voting. And yeah. so that's the kind of things that we've been pushing back in, in Georgia for years. And that's why Heritage recognized us and gave us a number one ranking. Yeah, no, this is going to be 2022 will be a really unique year because I think we'll get to see the impact of these laws. As you look out now, what's the single most important thing, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, independent, a Georgian or a Texan? What's the most important issue you think for uh, election integrity going forward? What's the most important thing you want to see front and center in the election integrity debate? I think we've really shored up uh, the absentee ballot process with photo ID. I set up that online portal with driver's license with photo ID during the pandemic. I think now that you have to send in the paper, that's additional measures. So I think that's very good. That'll help uh, really make sure that it's a robust check. Also, I think, you know, improve confidence. Now, we kept all forms of voting uh, open. So we have, you know, no excuse absentee voting. We have, you know, early voting up to 19 days now and then election day. I think we have a pretty good process. I wish we could update the voter rolls on a more uh, constant basis because we have runoffs in Georgia and many states don't. And because of that, that's why in effect on 2020, we couldn't update the vote rolls after February because we had all the runoffs that we had after every one of those election cycles. And so we just have a lot of work to do after we finish a big election year like 2020 or 2022. Yeah, That's one place where we really could do some reform. But we're going to continue to work on also poll worker training, but also we want both political parties to really take advantage of poll worker training so that when they're there and observing, they'll watch what the process is and they really don't understand this is what they're doing, this is the fail-safe, this, and have the understanding uh, so they'll have confidence in the process. And that just helps make them better spokesmen for you know, the whole process, understanding that everyone's working hard for fair and honest elections in Georgia. Yeah. The C Report is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with the C Report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners 
lend their support. Become a monthly donor when you go to anchor.fm slash the C-Report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the C-Report website where you can help sustain future episodes of the C-Report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. All right, guys, and we will end that interview there. Okay, so I don't know what you guys thought about that, but, uh, well, we got Brad Raffensperger on record. Uh, I will definitely agree with you, Sean Joe. I do think that um, that uh, John Solomon did kind of softball him, but uh, I thought that uh, he was actually asking him meaningful questions, uh, getting the man's perspective, even though personally speaking, and this is just for me, I think his perspective is crap. Um, but he was, uh, he was getting him on record on a bunch of different matters. Uh, everything from uh, this brand new issue that just came up and that is what we'll be talking about next uh, in regards to the ballot harvesting or the term that I liked that they uh, that was uh, that was created for this ballot trafficking, because this is definitely different from ballot harvesting. Um, as John Solomon stated, as we all know, ballot harvesting is, you know, uh, is is acquiring other people's ballots and taking them to uh, drop off, whereas in this case. We have ballots of fraudulent origin that do not come from other people's votes and were not picked up from other people, but were rather fraudulently created and then just placed into the ballot boxes. Now, we've been following this story since it broke back in like maybe August or so. And um, that, of course, comes from uh, the organization known as True the Vote. Okay, so we've talked about True the Vote and what they've been doing. Now, um, you notice uh, John Solomon buttering up, buttering up, buttering up, uh, Bradford Raffensperger all the way to the end, right? And then he hits him with that question, okay? where he tries to get into this matter. He says, well, you know, uh, ballot harvesting, uh, you've recently been presented with some evidence of ballot harvesting. Uh, what are you going to do about it? And of course, Bradford, who says he's not a lawyer, he's an engineer, uh, answers in the most lawyer- lawyerly possible way uh, that it's a currently an ongoing investigation, so he's not going to talk about it, okay? Uh, but we all saw Bradford's come to Jesus moment on the previous, um, on the previous, uh, image that we had on the screen, guys. Now, true the vote for those of you who may not recall or who are not familiar. And that's what I'm saying, guys, like they employed all types of fraud in this election, some of which the likes we've never seen before. Okay. Of course, we've never been We've never been in this situation with this whole pandemic thing and uh, that excuse for uh, for a good way to steal an election. And then these drop boxes. Now, early on the interview, I don't know if you all noticed, um, uh, John Solomon actually pointed out that in the state of Georgia, um, ballot ballot drop offs are actually legal. Like they're already written into Georgia law. They've just never used them. 
until the great pandemic, right? Uh, but of course, there were very specific rules and regulations for the drop-off boxes that were um, that were granted in the state of Georgia, and it was like they had to be on uh, they had to be on government property. Could only be like one per county, etc. Uh, but then, of course, with the advent uh, the advent the creation of this uh, fake pandemic, they just went stir crazy and put them everywhere. Of course, they're saying, oh, they're video monitored, etc. Uh, so the basic, uh, the basic concept uh, behind what True the Vote did in their investigation in regards to ballot harvesting or ballot trafficking uh, in relation to the ballot drop-off boxes is that uh, True the Vote acquired cell phone data Okay, that tracked cell phones and followed um, followed individual cell phones on a route by pinging and GPS uh, that showed uh, several individuals uh, who traveled uh, to several drop off boxes routinely throughout uh, the month of October in 2020, which begs the question, why is this person going to all of these drop-off boxes in different counties and townships throughout Georgia several times in the month? You know, what's going on here, right? So then uh, you you couple that with the video footage, and well, ladies and gentlemen, you got yourself a stew. You got yourself a stew of an investigation, that is, and it's meaty, ladies and gentlemen. Now, interesting enough, True the Vote actually submitted this information to Governor Kemp back in November. Okay, on I'm sorry, not back in November. Uh, they submitted to government uh, Governor Kemp um, prior to that. Uh, sorry, I, I apologize. I don't have the date here. Uh, Raffensperger received this complaint on November 30th. Kemp received this information prior to that at some point. Kemp did nothing about it. So you wonder why you suddenly have all of the uh, all of the news outlets talking about Governor Kemp, you know, uh, relaxing gun control laws. It's because there's a bigger story brewing in Georgia that they don't want Republicans and conservatives to zero in on because this is a much more important issue. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. But my vote is my freedom. Now, naturally, I could use a gun if I had to, to fight for my freedom, right? Uh, But for the sake of all of us and what this country represents, without that vote, we have no freedom. Okay, they can't take our guns, true. That that probably is actually a harder argument for me to fight. So I'm going to go ahead and let that one go. But you get what I'm trying to say here, right? Okay, so... um, uh, back into this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're talking about Kemp and his gun relaxation laws because you got Bradford Raffensperger in a deep stinking pile of doo-doo. Okay. And now he is, now he's diametrically opposed to Brian Kemp's position because Bradford is actually going to do an investigation into this. He has to, he's the secretary of the state. Now, uh, true the votes complaint to Bradford Raffensperger's office, um, offered access to what are characterized as detailed phone records and surveillance video, it said would show as many as 242 different people who repeatedly made trips to the drop boxes to deliver ballots in what is described as a mass ballot trafficking operation. The aspect of the complaint that the secretary's office believed merited attention was the allegation the group had spoken to a man who admitted he and others engaged in ballot harvesting. This is where 
it hits the fan, ladies and gentlemen, because they got themselves a whistleblower. Guys, a whistleblower. Someone who is admitting to the crime. And they have all the data, True the Vote does. They have all the data. Uh, now, in the article from Just the News, uh, it, it went on to say that uh, in regards to the tactics that True the Vote used to do their investigation, it said that using a tactic increasingly used by the FBI and the intelligence community to solve crimes or national security threats, the group said it bought commercially available geospatial mobile service data, uh, mobile device data, showing the locations of suspected ballot harvesters' cell phones in the vicinity of the ballot drop boxes at the times people appeared on the surveillance footage, stuffing multiple ballots into a drop box. Kevin Brock, the FBI's former intelligence chief, said mobile da device data that identifies a smartphone's location is readily available and can be a useful investigative tool. More than a few companies aggregate data that is linked to a certain app uh, to certain apps on a smartphone. When users download an app, they agree to conditions that allow companies to track a smartphone's location. Most of this data is resold to advertisers, but when someone engages in illegal activity, it can be subject to subpoenas and other court-ordered processes as well. The phone data bought by True the Vote overlaid with video suggested 242 people engaged in a total of 5,662 ballot drops. 5,662 5, ballot drops, ladies and gentlemen. That means 5,662 times ballots were violated with fraudulent ballots stuffed into that drop box. And there's no telling how many ballots they were dropping off in one visit, okay? That is an average of 23 runs per alleged harvester the group alleged in the complaint. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, we can see now that the uh, rain is gone. We can see clearly now, right, that the sun is coming out. Uh, this is from True the Vote. They released a statement about uh, this investigation and how they've handed it over to Georgia. True the Vote statement regarding Georgia ballot harvesting investigation. Let me go ahead and, ooh, man, they use very slim writing uh the font here it says uh this is from the uh this is from the founder and president of uh true the vote and uh, let me get her name her uh name is uh da -da -da, angle angle heart angle heart angle heart is that her name let, uh, Catherine Engelbrecht, I apologize. Catherine Engelbrecht says, I'm writing today to share a recent development that you will undoubtedly find interesting. After a year's worth of research and analysis, True the Vote submitted three official complaints to the Georgia Secretary of State's office regarding uh, occurrences in the 2020 general uh, and the uh, 2021 runoff elections. As a result... Uh, on January 3rd, 2022, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger announced a statewide investigation into ballot trafficking in Georgia. You can read more about the announcement here, and there's a link provided. Uh, shockingly, similar findings will soon be released to appropriate authorities in five additional states. Are you ready for a barbecue, ladies and gentlemen? Because justice is about to be served. 
This statement is the limit of our public uh, comments at this time, so as not to impede investigative efforts currently underway, we will continue to provide updates directly to you in email and on our website. Very, very, very. I was wondering when this. Uh, I was wondering when this uh, was going to move forward, because it seemed like for a while they might have been defeated. Uh, so I am. I am pleasantly surprised. Uh, at the turn of this brand new year, that the fire's already lit high, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, this is the actual article uh, that I was reading from earlier. Again, this is from Just the News. Georgia opens investigation to possible illegal ballot harvesting in the 2020 election. So Rappensberger is with no choice to actually go into and open up this investigation uh, to see what happens. And of course, five other states uh, will be included in this investigation uh, individually as true the vote releases the data to those states. I know Texas is one of them. Uh, Texas is definitely one of them. Uh, let me see if there's any other information here I need to share with you guys about this and then we'll get to the whistleblower. Actually, we should probably just get to that next. Uh, let's see here. Kemp, blah, 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 blah. I think we're good here, guys. Uh, so let's go ahead and hop on over to information about the whistleblower. And uh, I think we'll go to, um, I think it's the Gateway Pundit for that. Huge! Georgia ballot trafficking whistleblower admits to making $45,000 for stuffing ballot boxes. Just one of 242 traffickers. Could that be hundreds of thousands of ballots? Ladies and gentlemen, they got it to certify tomorrow. <laughs> I bet you $5.00. Okay, uh, let's see what it says here. It says, uh, this is a breaking update. The Georgia ballot trafficking whistleblower reportedly admitted to making $45,000 for stuffing Georgia ballot boxes from 2 to 5 a.m. in the morning. He was just one of 242 alleged ballot traffickers identified by True the Vote investigation. There is a possibility of hundreds of thousands of ballots that were stuffed into the ballot boxes in Georgia. Uh, and then they go to talk about John Friedrich and Steve Bannon going on about it. Now that's uh, that's an earlier um, uh, that's an earlier article that uh, the Gateway Pundit that showed uh, this was from Heather Mullins and also from Catherine Elbrecht of True the Bo uh, True the Vote and the actual video footage uh, that they had at those ballot drop off boxes. And uh, let's see here, uh, we're not going to listen to the interview, uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, there you go, guys. Uh, just think about it. 240 plus 242 people um, uh, and, and multiply that. Now, according to uh, what uh, John uh, Friedrich said here, uh, the one whistleblower that came forward because allegedly his mom said, hey, what you're doing is wrong and you need to be honest about it. Own up to it. He said he was paid $10 per ballot and he made 45000 not 4500 $45,000 between November 3rd and the runoff. Two elections, he made $45,000. Uh, so if you do the math um, with that average payout, you're looking at 4,500 ballots per, per, per person, ladies and gentlemen. So you do 4,500 ballots and multiply that by 242. And well, I would say that that is well over the margarine, margin of victory, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, uh, the illegitimate joke, pedo Joe Sleepy Creepy Joe Biden, supposedly won 
the election in 2020. And uh, we're going to go about this any way that we can, guys. I mean, you hear Bradford Raffensperger talking about urban legends and talking about 28,000 Republicans voting down ballot and not selecting a president, which is poppycock. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get them where we can. And uh, again, they were so sloppy about this. Clearly, that clearly their butt was not wiped, ladies and gentlemen, and they did a messy job, and they're busted now. Um, so I am very interested to note exactly how this is going to wind up, but it pumps me up, guys, because like you know, I know, the whole audience knows that this is hard, bona fide evidence of fraud, of criminal activity. In a state election, okay? And uh, justice has to be served. I mean, it's in the face. It's in the face, as they say. It is in the face, okay? And here's another question I have, ladies and gentlemen. When we're thinking about states like Wisconsin, who are also investigating the Center for Tech and Civic Life for doing what? For donating millions of dollars to uh, campaigns, well, not to campaigns, to uh, to states for elections in the name of in the name of a safer election during COVID, and we don't got the receipts and how those states spent that money. Now I wonder because Georgia is actually the state that received the most money from Zuckerberg and the Center for Tech and Civic Life, like. In the books, they received the most money because they had the 2020 general election and they had the runoffs that they had to um, they had to steal. I wonder how much of that money from center the center of tech and civic life went into funding the ballot harvesters. That's what I wonder. I wonder how much money went to the people who worked for the unions in Michigan and in Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania who worked the uh, who worked the uh, the elections that kicked people out of the uh, of the counting areas. I wonder how much of that money from the Center in Tech and Civic Life went to Ruby Freeman and to Ralph Jones and to Wandrea Shea Moss. That's what I wonder. Okay, I wonder how much of that dirty money went to pay those dirty characters to defraud, steal, and commit a gross crime against the American people and this country. That's what I want to know. And I will be most satisfied when I get those receipts and we can see for ourselves that they squandered that money on these low-life criminals that think that they are better than God and that they have some kind of righteous point of view to uh, judge our vote and our choice and take our freedom from us. And that's what I want to know. And I want that justice served cold, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we're going into overtime, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, uh, we will get through, um, we'll get through Pennsylvania. We only, the stories aren't too much longer, not, not as long as we had for uh, Georgia there, guys. Uh, But let's hop right into it. Real quick updates on Pennsylvania. Now, speaking of secretaries of snakes. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we get to the secretaries of snakes in Pennsylvania, We'll talk about Dominion, okay? We'll talk about the Dominion voting machines in Pennsylvania. Now, where we left off in Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, uh, we had seen a victory 
Okay, a victory over the state of Pennsylvania, where you had the acting secretary of Snake or the secretary of the Commonwealth, uh, um, Veronica de Graffenried, right? Where she threatens all of the counties. Oh, no, you ain't going to send your voting machines over to anyone for an investigation, right? So she told the counties and she actually decertified Fulton County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's a Fulton County, Pennsylvania, and there's a Fulton County, Georgia. And both of them are the hotbed of fraud in both of these states. But in Fulton County, Pennsylvania, uh, they actually submitted their machines and voting equipment to the Senate for an investigation. This is back in the days of Senator Mastriano before he was kicked out of his own committee by uh, Senate Tempore Jake Corman, right? The, this other, I mean, I think he's a rhino. We'll see if he does a Robin Voss. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's currently in charge of this election review, not an audit, not an investigation. It's a review. Okay. So, um, back in the days of Mastriano before Jake Corman kicked him out of his own committee, kicked him off the investigation, kicked him off the audit. Uh, Fulton County was subpoenaed for their dominion voting machines and equipment for an audit by the Senate. Uh, Veronica de Graffenried, the secretary of the Commonwealth at the time, uh, she issued a notice to all the county saying, if you turn over your voting machines and equipment, we will decertify them. And then you, the county, will have to pay out of your own pocket for brand new equipment and brand new voting machines. OK, so she decertifies Fulton County. They take it to court. We get a victory. The court finds that the state cannot decertify equipment that is owned by the county. Okay, so that's a good one for us, right? Now, because of this, the state has mandated that the counties have to turn over their voting machines to the Senate for investigation by January 10th. Something about that day, right? January 10th. So, uh, so in that, and, and again, guys, here we had, we had the secretary of snakes, Commonwealth, de Graffenried suing. We also had their state attorney general, Joshua David Shapiro. He also sued to put a, a restraining order on that subpoena. Okay. But, um, they failed, which is a good thing for us, a bad thing for them. And now they have to turn over their machines. Now, in order to prevent that from happening, Dominion is getting themselves involved, ladies and gentlemen, because Dominion says, okay, fine. If you're going to audit our machines, we're going to pick who is going to do the audit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we already know how that goes. They're either going to pick, uh, they're either going to pick, um, um, uh, one of the two, one of the two, um, one of the two main, uh, auditors and they're not even auditors. Uh, it's, it's, uh, wake SLI. If I'm not mistaken, and uh, V Pro V and V, right? They're the ones that certify the machines. They're the ones who are not certified to do audits. They're the ones that turn it off and on and make sure it works. They drop it off a two-story building and make sure it works, right? But they don't actually audit, okay? But the federal government and all of these snakes in the state government have been able to pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and legislators and judiciaries. And uh, make them believe that because the Election Assistance Commission, the EAC, has certified those two outfits to certify machines that that's the only ones that can do it. No third-party investigators, no third-party auditors, nada, okay? So Dominion, they want only accredited auditors 
to actually, and they played this game from the start, guys. They did this in uh, Arizona. They've done this in Michigan. They've done this in every state where this has come up. So let's see what this article has to say. We'll pull it right on up for you. This comes out of KDK CBS Pittsburgh. Uh, Dominion Voting Systems asks court to require accredited lab in Pennsylvania GOP's investigation. We'll expand that on the screen for you. Uh, Dominion Voting Systems has asked a court to restrict any inspection of its voting machines as part of what Republican lawmakers call a forensic investigation of Pennsylvania's 2020 election to a laboratory that has specific credentials. The Denver-based voting system manufacturer filed paperwork in court Monday evening as Republican lawmakers moved to inspect Dominion's machines and software in southern Pennsylvania's sparsely populated Fulton County using an unaccredited contractor that has no election experience. Of course, that's what they always say. Uh, In its court papers, Dominion requested an order requiring that any inspection be conducted by a federally accredited voting system, test lab, or a national laboratory used by the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Infrastructure Agency. Okay, now guys, here's the thing, okay? We already know uh, that um, these accredited labs that they want to do certification, A, like I said, they certify the equipment, Okay, they make sure it works. Okay, they cannot audit their own equipment. Plus, uh, when does the student grade their own paperwork, right? So why on earth would you have someone who certifies the machine certified to see if they certified the machine? Okay, they're not certified to do audits. Here's the other thing. Um, the, uh, the two outfits that, um, that the EAC recommends as accredited labs, they were not even certified at the time of the election. The machines weren't certified. They weren't certified for the 2020 election, which actually effectively makes the entire 2020 election null and void. Entirely broken federal law, broken state law. The machines were not certified. They were not certified past 2016 at the time of these elections, which means primaries and also the general should not have been certified. However, they were. And then we also know that the uh, Homeland's uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, okay, uh, that was being headed up by a shill, okay? Some guy, I, I, his name eludes me, he was fired by Trump, but he said it was the most secure election in the history of our nation. Of course, we know that that was not true, okay? Uh, so, back to the article. It says, uh, a Commonwealth Court judge has separately given state and county officials until January 10th to work out an agreed-upon set of rules for inspection. A lawyer representing Fulton County has said the Republican senator in charge of the forensic investigation wants to determine if the county's voting system was the same equipment as was certified by the state of Pennsylvania for use in the 2020s election. Fulton County is cooperating. Dominion's voting equipment has been at the center of conspiracy theories about the presidential election and has filed defamation lawsuits, blah, 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 right wing, blah, 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 conspiracy theorists, foil tin hats, right? Tin foil hats. So you know, you know whose side this journal is on in regards to uh, what they think is going on in the world and specifically in their uh, neck of the woods. But yeah, there you have. So Dominion's going to try and get themselves involved. Uh, 
We'll see what happens because they're already at a loss here. Uh, but again, uh, they ca they cannot call the shots. Okay, we need an outright independent investigator, such as those who are utilized during the uh, uh, Arizona forensic audit or something similar. Okay, something similar, because currently the uh, Pennsylvania Senate is looking at an outfit out of Illinois or Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so they're not using cyber ninjas, but they are going to use someone else now. The next story on Pennsylvania that we have on the screen, I think, is also important and is the prime illustration of how these people keep on bamboozling the citizens of their state. And this has directly to do with the office of the Secretary of State or the Commonwealth in the case of Pennsylvania. Okay, And this could be said for any state in this union. For Texas, I say, oh, heck yes, this applies uh, because we see in Texas that we have a broken secretary of state office, okay, wherein we have secretaries of state in a revolving door who have abbreviated terms and uh, they leave office once they've done the dirty work, okay? Now, as a good example, let's take a gander at the brief history of the secretaries of state within the uh, the parameters of the 2020 election, okay? Uh, at the start of this, we had a Secretary of Commonwealth by the name of Kathy Bookvar, okay? Now, Kathy Bookvar was the acting Secretary of State. Now, trust me, guys, I was trying to do my homework on this, and I could not find a um, uh, the uh, length of a term for the Secretary of State in Pennsylvania. Now, Secretaries of State, they have unlimited terms. So they could serve as Secretary of State from here until kingdom come, right? But I was looking for the amount of years a single term is for their state. For example, in the state of Texas, a single term for a Secretary of State is four years. It mirrors that of a governor's term. So in a perfect world, you would assume that if you had a governor who appoints a Secretary of State, and that means that they trust the Secretary of State, they want to work with them, they knew they, they do good work, that perhaps the Secretary of State would ride out all four years in that single term and then, you know, go up for a, a reappointment or for re reconfirmation, right? That is not the case in Texas, okay? In Texas, the secretaries of state have served one and a half to two years on average. None of them have served out a full four-year term in any amount of recent history to the fact that in Texas, we've had 48 governors and we've had 115 secretaries of state. What is going on here? Could it possibly be that they bring in someone to uh, do some kind of a dirty work and then they pull them out of there as soon as they can before the hammer comes down and before they are held accountable for their actions. Because guess what? They're not the Secretary of State anymore, so what does it matter? Uh, they're not in office anymore. Well, let's see what happened with Kathy Bookvar in Pennsylvania. Kathy Bookvar in Pennsylvania oversees the primaries and the 2020 election, oversees the theft of the 2020 election. Um, she actually institutes um, recommendations on uh, on a, a ballot approval when we're talking about the adjudication process when it comes to the signatures, right? She writes out a whole pamphlet that is supposed to supersede Pennsylvania state law and uh, the municipality's law in regards to how they receive absentee ballots. 
but she's not held accountable because guess what? They pull her out of there before the hammer comes down. And instead, she gets dismissed on some uh, technicality that she did not inform uh, certain individuals that fell into a tax break that uh that 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 uh she did not uh she did not advertise the change and according to uh commonwealth state law in pennsylvania you have to advertise this change and if you don't well you get you have to resign you're forced to resign you're fired basically so she leaves on a technicality book far does and we never hear about her again so enter veronica de graffenreed she was the current, or oh, actually she is the current acting Secretary of State at least until the 8th of this month, okay? Because guess what? They're replacing her. They're replacing Veronica de Graffenreid. Veronica de Graffenreid, who would never, ever be confirmed by the Senate because she thought that she was Miss High and Mighty and could threaten all the counties to decertify their, ele- their elect- election equipment... And then it comes back and bites her in the butt when the courts decide that, I'm sorry, Veronica, you can't do that. So when I was going over the recent history of the secretaries of Commonwealth in Pennsylvania, all of them served on average two years. Veronica de Graffenried did such a botched job. She only served one full year, ladies and gentlemen, if that at all, I think February would have marked the year. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is here's a symptom of the uh, bamboozle, right? Here is something, a pattern to look at, maybe something to examine in your own respective state when you're looking at your secretary of state. Do they follow this pattern? Do your secretaries of state not work their entire uh, term as a secretary of state? Do you have secretaries of state constantly being switched out? Could it be possible that they are actually there to do a con job and they pull them before accountability comes down? Because that's what I'm seeing in Pennsylvania and that's what I'm seeing in Texas, okay? Yes, in Texas, ladies and gentlemen, that's what I'm seeing as well. And we'll talk about Texas tonight. I'm a little bit surprised about Texas, to be honest with you, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Now, to uh, fill you in on what is new in regards to Pennsylvania and their Secretary of the Commonwealth, it appears that Governor Tom Wolf has appointed a brand new Secretary of the Commonwealth. And this one's rather in your face, ladies and gentlemen, because this brand new Secretary of the Commonwealth is actually a person who is an advocate for the vote-by-mail program in the state of Pennsylvania. So he's putting it in your face, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, The article says, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf appointed Leah Chapman to serve as acting secretary of the Commonwealth, replacing Veronica de Graffenreid, who accepted a different position in the Wolf administration. In her position, Chapman will serve as the state's top elections official. As we move into a new year and a new election cycle, I have full confidence that Leah M. Chapman will continue the department's efforts to lead Pennsylvania through a smooth election process or through a smooth election fraud and ensure that Pennsylvania voters continue to experience uh, free and fair elections, more like uh, stolen and uh, uh, rigged elections, among many responsibilities, Wolf said. Uh, article goes on to say Chapman previously served as the executive director of Deliver My Vote, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization with a simple philosophy vote at home programs increase turnout and fraud participation from more informed voters. 
Uh, I'm going to skip what Miss Chapman had to say. You know, she's thanking everyone and God for uh, being accepted into the decision, uh, into this decision. Uh, it says, while Deliver My Vote claims a nonpartisan title, the organization's website lists Georgia, Georgie Aguirre, Sakasa, and Brian, uh, Brian what? Brian Dunn as founders of the group. Um, let's see here. Both work for consulting agencies that help Democrat candidates. Uh, field strategists, which employ Dunn uh, details on its website that it has been instrumental in securing victories for Democrat presidents, governors, governors U.S. senators, U.S. representatives, and statewide ballot initiatives. Yada, yada, yada. That's what's going on there. It needs to be shared. Now, this article doesn't say it, but I read multiple articles. Veronica de Graffenried is being promoted, ladies and gentlemen, whereas Kathy Bookvar was fired. She's being promoted to a higher rank within the governor's office. That's the kind of job that woman did in Pennsylvania. Damn the Commonwealth, right? Veronica de Graffenried. Yeah, she's supposed to be a protector of the Commonwealth, and she did exactly the opposite. But for all her efforts, she is being rewarded by being promoted to a higher rank in the office of uh, Wolf's uh, governing body. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the quick quip on uh, Pennsylvania and what is happening there. Now, while we're in the vein of the secretaries of snakes, let's talk about Michigan, okay? Because uh, we see the hammer coming down on the Center for Tech and Civic Life in uh, Wisconsin. uh, And uh, investigations are trying to move forward in other states. I know Texas is also interested in investigating the Center for Tech and Civic Life and all of the Zuckerberg money that was funneled into these elections. But um, over in over in Michigan, with their Secretary of Snake, uh, and that is one Jocelyn Benson. You might remember that face. Uh, she's one of the worst, guys. Um, she is actually trying to get the lawsuits that she is facing in the state of Michigan dismissed because people are going after her and the governing body of uh, uh, Michigan for the involvement of the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Um, So let's see here what we got with uh, Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of Snakes over there at... uh, Michigan, this comes from Michigan Live. Headline reads, Michigan Secretary of Snake seeks to throw out Zuckerberg Boxes, uh, Zuckerberg Boxes lawsuit over private money for election operations. So that's the way she handles her business there. She go, she tries to get ahead of it. She tries to uh, quash it. So this way it's legal, okay? Uh, at least in their eyes. Now it says here, attorneys for Michigan Secretary of State office on December 17th asked a judge to dismiss a lawsuit alleging millions in private donations to local elections clerks. Much of it from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife damaged the integrity of the 2020 presidential election and violated the law. The lawsuit is one of the last remaining Michigan lawsuits among a plethora filled after 
Um, President Donald Trump lost the election, uh, according to them, that many supporters call fraudulent, etc. The 2020 election did give rise to something that's never been seen in Michigan before, private grant money being injected into local elections. It gives you uh, an overview of the Center for Tech and Civic Life. It says that they found it to be not illegal. Of course, they're being sued. Um, and let's see here, uh, moving right along. She always tries to, uh, Secretary of State Johnson, uh, uh, Benson always tries to butter up people who work beneath her. Okay, so it says here, uh, Michigan communities received 474 grants. Whoa. Far more than any other state in the nation. They see, they received more grants, but they did not receive more money. Georgia took the cake there. Um, let's see here. According to the recipient list on the nonprofit's website, the state with the next highest number of awardees was Massachusetts with 266. Nearly uh, 2,500 grants were issued nationwide, which means nearly 20% of all grants made their way to Michigan. In some cases, the grant funds more than doubled the previously budgeted amounts for elections. Uh, the money paid for apolitical needs, safety equipment, ballot drop boxes, surveillance cameras to watch drop boxes, high-speed absentee ballot tabulators, absentee ballot prepaid postage, and mailing costs and voter outreach, but mostly for temporary staff poll workers. Okay, so this says apolitical needs. Okay, I don't consider apolitical to be voter outreach because who is the voter they are outreaching to? right? I also don't consider temporary staff and poll workers and recruiting to be apolitical because who are they hiring? Is this money going to Happy Faces in Georgia, the Stacey Abrams outfit who uh, basically staffs every office in the government of Georgia? You know, is this money going to the union so this way they can hire people to uh, kick, uh, kick out uh, poll watchers and to kick out vote counters? Uh, is this money going to, uh, to, um, uh, uh, to encourage individuals like Ruby Freeman and Ralph Jones to, uh, to kick everyone out so they can double, triple, quadruple stuff ballots and pull them out of tables? That is the question, ladies and gentlemen. That is, that is, that is a technicality on being called apolitical right there, 100%. Because who's the money going to, okay? You're going to hire temporary staff. Who are you hiring, right? Who are you hiring, and are you excluding certain uh, political groups from that process? Of all very important questions. And then, of course, it also went to training and hazard pay, according to elections clerks. Uh, the grants were intended to bolster election funding amid the coronavirus pandemic that presented unexpected costs and workloads for local clerks. Uh, some voters in Livingston, Macomb, and Oakland counties, however, believe the grants were partisan. They filed a lawsuit against Benson in October of 2020 and filed an updated complaint on September 29th. Uh, of that lawsuit, it says, During the 2020 general election, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson allowed private progressive organizations to orchestrate a targeted get-out-the-vote effort through state actors overseeing the payments of tens of millions of private funds to local Michigan election jurisdictions in predominantly Democrat precincts. Under Secretary Benson, Michigan election officials in predominantly Democrat jurisdictions thus received infusions of private funds that were earmarked specifically for inter alia printing and distributing absentee and mail-in ballots and adding remote 
unattended drop boxes for mail-in and absentee ballots. The lawsuit alleges the funds were distributed disproportionately to Democrat-leaning communities. It cites a total of at least $5.9 million awarded to Wayne County, Detroit, uh, and Detroit, $3.5 million to Flint, and uh, let's see here, uh, $467,625 to Ann Arbor, $417,000 to Lansing, $443,000 to Muskegon, $433,589 to Saginaw, $402,878 to Kalamazoo, uh, uh, $8,500 to East Lansing. There's a map of the recipients there. If you want to take a gander, all Democrat strongholds. Okay. Now, an MLive investigation to the grant funds revealed they were distributed widely to both Republican and Democrat leaning communities, but it's possible to perform a full and it it's impossible to perform a full analysis since the Center for Tech and Civic Life did not reveal the local grant amounts and the totals were not tabulated by state officials. MLive found no evidence that Benson's office uh, specifically encouraged Democrat-leaning communities to apply for the grants. Her office did notify all clerks in the state that the grant funds existed and provided information on how to apply. Uh, The spending choices varied greatly. Uh, Hamtrak bought sneeze guards. Muskegon spent uh, $20,000 on a trailer to deliver absentee ballots to neighborhoods. Uh, $50,000 on a nonpartisan get-out-the-vote campaign. Uh, Pontiac spent $100,000 on hazard pay, poll workers, and temporary staff for the offices to extend its hours. Oakland County spent $120,000 on a marketing campaign with mailers, digital billboards, online and radio spots focused on educating voters and recruiting poll workers. Flint spent $100,000 on a high-speed absentee ballot counting machine, and Lansing spent $53,000 on ballot drop boxes and surveillance cameras. Uh, So lawsuits takes a specific aim at ballot boxes, which are regulated by law in Michigan. And uh, let's see here. Uh, It says because state law provides for public provision of ballot containers, buying ballot boxes with private money is illegal. The lawsuit said this is especially so when privately funded ballot boxes do not comply with Michigan's requirements for securing ballots. MLI's investigation revealed drop boxes referred to as Zuckerberg boxes in the lawsuit were purchased by some communities, but weren't the largest expenditure. And it goes on to that. Uh, And a list of 11 election cost recipients told the Center for Tech and Civic Life they plan to spend money on drop boxes. Uh, That landed seventh. In the request for a summary judgment, lawyer for the attorney general's office who are representing the SOS So the legislature established requirements for drop boxes in a law passed on October 6, 2020, but included an exemption for any installed prior to October 1st. And of course, you have to wonder uh, who passed that law. Was it the legislature or was it a commissioner or was it just the secretary of state's office? And so uh, the article goes on to talk about um, how they're fighting that and what they spent. But again, here, the point being that the Secretary of State or Snakes, Jocelyn Benson, is trying to get this thrown out because she doesn't want them to open up an investigation just like uh, they did in Wisconsin with uh, uh, someone like Gableman at the helm of that investigation, Um, which I think in a state like Michigan probably would not happen anyways. Uh, because, man, they got wretched Gretchen Whitmer over there and her two snakes 
uh, Benson and uh, and and uh, Nassel, the uh, state AG. Uh, the article says the lawsuit alleges that the Center for Tech and Civic Life, despite its nonpartisan claims, is in fact a progressive organization focused on increasing liberal vote turnout. Three of its founders previously worked for the new organizing institute described as the left's think tank for campaigns known uh, for campaign know-how by the Washington Post. Of course, the Center for Tech and Civic Life says they're nonpartisan. And uh, they'll stand by that, but uh, we know that not to be the case. Uh, and that Zuckerberg basically uh, bought some of the election in 2020. But we will see. It says it concludes it's not clear how the co- when the court claims of, court of claims judge Christopher Murray, who's presiding over the lawsuit, might rule on this motion from the Secretary of State. But that is the handy-dandy work that Jocelyn Benson is doing up there in Michigan. And uh, that, is, uh, that is what she has been up to, ladies and gentlemen, in that regard. Now, we will close tonight's show with uh, some uh, information out of Texas in regards to this, uh, this audit that is taking place. Now, you know... I've had some words about this audit. If any of you guys have been uh, have been in attendance during Lone Star News um, or have heard me talk about it, I have not been happy about uh, some of the um, some of the specifications of this audit. Some of the uh, some of the uh, some of w- the way it will be performed. Okay, you got you got what is being touted as the most thorough and fullest and in depth forensic audit. Ever right, we already know Arizona took that one, Governor Abbott, Rhino Abbott. Um, but you know, it's it's separated into two sections, right? And, and one of them is uh, an administrative review, okay? How they uh, handled all of their stuff, and then the other one is a partial examination of electronic ballot images. The uh, I think the standard minimum is two percent. And it could be higher than 2% across the board, but usually they just do about 2%, okay? So uh, some information has come out about uh, the first part of this forensic audit. Ladies and gentlemen, it's already completo, so they're going to enter into stage two. Interesting information comes out about this audit. Uh, I was actually uh, taken aback by that information that they found. Um, so, uh, this is from the gateway pundit headline reads, uh, Keshe Moseder, Texas election audit phase one progress report is released and it shows 700,000 ineligible voter registrations. Now, if you've been listening to me cry about this audit, you know, I've been like, there's no canvas how can this be a full and thorough forensic audit without a canvas, right? Like, that is important. Aside from actual physical review of the ballots, which is necessary to see if there were any fraudulent ballots cast, right? Uh, in addition to a full review of the um, electronic ballot images. Um, but here they find at the conclusion of phase one that 700,000 um, registrations may be ineligible. Uh, so we'll take a brief look at that. I say, hey, that's good. Because um, according to 
the way this is written, if in phase one they find enough um, enough questionable material, they have to kick out a full third. Like, in other words, if they find enough matter to question the audit in phase one, in phase two, they have to do an entire physical ballot count, an entire physical review. So we'll see if they do it. <laughs> but of course, I guess this is also going to hinge on how they view these 700,000 ineligible ballots. Now, there's a full report here and we're not going to go through it. Phase one of the progress report talks about the Secretary of State. Now, and this is so, this, this also gets to me. Like I said, the Secretary of State office is broken in Texas. And, uh, and yet we have, we have here, it's being said uh, that uh, the current Secretary of State is the one who's behind this. That's, that's a load of bull, ladies and gentlemen. The current Secretary of State of Texas, which is Rhino Abbott's fifth Secretary of State since he's been in office. His name is Christopher Scott. Okay. He just got here. He just got here. In fact, they released the plan. They released the blueprints for this audit in Texas before he was appointed. So who are they trying to fool? I wonder. They're not fooling Mr. C. Let me tell you what. I already know it was the Deputy Secretary of State, one Jose Joe Garza, Esparza, not Garza, Esparza. He's the one who did it because that's the man who serves as the Secretary of State while Abbott is picking whose next appoint he's going to be every one or two years, okay? That's the man who's doing the dirty work. That's the man who knows the record. Joe Esparza, the Deputy Secretary of State of Texas, he's the one who wrote this plan, okay? Anyways, uh, let's see what Seth Keschel has to say so we can wrap it up. Ladies and gentlemen, we're almost at the finish line. Uh, Seth Keschel says, the media is already out. All the publications are crapping all over this report saying there is no fraud. Well, we just showed you exactly how fraud would take place um, in the state of Texas. Now, uh, this is the information from his uh, Telegram page. Texas Secretary of State's phase one investigation of the 2020 election identifies nearly 700,000 ineligible registrations. Um, and it says uh, phase one of uh, the Texas Secretary of State's review of the 2020 election in sample uh, in a sample of major counties shows that the status quo for the state's election simply cannot be allowed to continue. Statewide, a total of 11,737 potential non-United States citizens were identified as being registered to vote. Of these, 327 records were identified in Collin County, 1,385 in Dallas County, 3,063 in Harris County, and 708 in Tarrant County. Since November 2020, 224,585 deceased voters have been removed from the voter rolls in Texas. Collin County removed 4,889 deceased voters. Dallas County removed 14,926. Harris County removed 23,914. And Tarrant County removed 13,955. The review also revealed nearly half a million duplicate registration records Overall, the state review process resulted in the identification and removal of 449,362 duplicate voter registrations from the statewide voter registration list. Secretary of State John Scott has called his investigation, his investigation, buddy, you did not even write up this investigation. 
He calls his investigation the country's most comprehensive forensic audit of the 2020 election with no canvas, with no physical ballot review, with only a percentage of electronic ballot images. Christopher Scott or John Scott, get off your own took us. The President Trump disagreed, criticizing the SOS's probe as a weak risk-limiting audit. And I miss that one. I definitely miss that statement. The statement I remember reading from Trump said it was a good one. Now, in total, the SOS's phase one review found approximately 685,000 ineligible voter registrations. What a coincidence. A July analysis by Captain Seth Keschel estimated there were 675,000 excess votes for Biden in Texas. Uh, And then there's an interview here, but it's 30 minutes long, so we're not going to review that tonight. Perhaps we can do it at another time. Uh, And I will uh, probably go through this. um, I will probably go through that uh, report when I have a moment, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, interesting finds. I was actually very, very intrigued that they found in phase one. And to me, this is a sham audit still. But I'm very surprised that they found that because they because Abbott and the previous secretary of state said uh, it's good in Texas. Like uh, we believe Texas elections are secure, but we're going to do this audit anyway, since President Trump put Rhino Abbott on the spot in front of the nation. And then and then he had his little deputy secretary, Joe Esparza, you know, mock up this sham audit out of the blue. And uh, and presented it to the nation uh, within a week, ladies and gentlemen. They had the plan, okay? And now you got John Scott. I call him Christopher Scott. Now you got John Scott, who actually was on Trump's legal team in Pennsylvania and then backed away, okay? But I, I feel like Abbott put him in there. So this way Texans will be like, oh, well, John Scott, he was on Trump's legal team. We can trust him. Uh, no, we can't, ladies and gentlemen. He he put his tail between his legs and he ran, ladies and gentlemen. He did not stand by Trump's side till the bitter end. Um, and so that is the uh, short and skinny of it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this edition of the Sea Report. As you can tell, I get pretty fired up when we're talking about election integrity and exposing election fraud, particularly in regards to the stolen uh, 2020 presidential election. The truth is out there, ladies and gentlemen, and it is being documented but it is something that we have to, uh, at least in my opinion, kind of keep on the forefront, push it to the front burner, take it to the head of the line, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the issue that we're fighting for right now. There is no secure election if 2020 is not secured, okay? And we've been promised 2020 and after will be secure. But guess what? That's up to us, ladies and gentlemen. We are a major part of that equation. And if we ignore it, if we forget it, if we let it down by the wayside, ain't no one else going to pick it up, ladies and gentlemen. No one's going to talk about election integrity and election fraud like we can. And no one will understand it like we can and like we do as we see these stories unfold throughout the headlines in this current timeline, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being a part of the audience, y'all. You guys are near and dear to me, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you for the gold pill donations coming in as well, y'all. I know I missed some, and I apologize if I can't extend my gratitude specifically by name. Uh, but for those of you who are, I can still see WC Crane up. Thank you for gifting that ship. 
Uh, you're most generous. And Sean Joe for the cookie, uh, one, two, three, SKG for the can. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, let's see here. Uh, and WC Crane up with 1959. <laughs> uh, year of birth, earthing movie, all content creators should ground, says Elder Keck. Uh, kind of understood that stuff. Uh, Curious Cat, Aurelius Locke, uh, who else we got? Casual GG, Sherry Pittsburgh, Two Rivers, Sassy Q. Um, I didn't get to see y'all's name earlier, so I'm saying hello before I say goodbye. The scratching has been released. Um, and, uh, well, I've been uh, taking up y'all's time long enough, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of The Sea Report. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a great night. And as always... Be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We will see you tomorrow.